everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. What does it mean to be a man in this day and age? Well, personally, I have no idea. But the question alone provokes controversy in most social circles. Does chromosome combination really require you to take on certain responsibilities? This week's guest, Ryan Mitchler of Order of Man Podcast, argues that if you want to reach your maximum potential, you've got to embrace your XY role. Before you judge, have a listen to our conversation with him. You might be surprised to learn that the tenets of what it means to be a man include what some may consider to be more feminine traits. Now, man, woman, or human sloth, and you're going to have to listen to this episode and hear all about Texas metabolism to understand that last one. But the goal is the same, being the best version of yourself possible for those around you. Here it is, episode 327. Power Athlete Nation. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> This is Luke, <laughs> special guest, and featuring friend, friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast. Uh, no, I'm stopping I'm, I'm by. Special guest, slumming it with the normal folk. Yeah, John Wilborn. John Wilborn, and you're listening to the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Ing, ing, which is Power Athlete Radio. I feel like I did that backwards. Uh, words, then words. nobody will notice. Yeah. John was doing some research on sloth metabolism. <laughs> oh, really? What did you sloth find out about metabolism? sloth? So did sloth you know, is a marsupial. Did you know that there was a great North American sloth that was probably like the size of like a uh, like an elephant? So what? No yeah, way. Yeah, no. There was a massive North American sloth that actually lived oh, here yeah. in North America that was the size of an elephant. So the, what? The distinguishing. What's the distinguishing? <laughs> They don't like move. What's so distinguishing about sloth? They don't move fast and they're really inflamed. It's called right. moseying, guys. They, they're moseying. just so slow. I mean, so slow. And they right? don't. And they don't use their words. And but that means they need they need so little nutrition like, because their metabolism is so slow. Well, and I've just found out. It will. I think what happens is is that maybe they have an incomplete Krebs cycle, so they can't mm-hmm. convert nutrients into ATP and exactly. energy. Exactly. There is such thing as human sloth syndrome. <laughs> Does this happen when you overconsume A vitamins and maybe that's you right. block like carbohydrate Ladies protein and metabolism? That's right. If you if there are you can get blood tests done to test, you know, things like micronutrient uh, levels in your blood. You can get in the uh, cells too. Your sex hormones tested. You could start to understand gut uh, biome. Your gut biome and your your metabolism in the Krebs cycle, which is uh, you know, some sort of magical system in our body that allows us to <laughs> Convert food and it's nutrients not, to energy. It's not magic. No, no one can explain it. But what I'm told is sloths have a slow metabolism. Well, uh, so their Krebs cycle would be inefficient. Well, um, either it depends on how you look at it. Like maybe their metabolism is just so slow that the rate at which they move is directly related to the speed of the metabolism. Mm-hmm. But like, let's say you had a fairly decent metabolism type of like, uh, like a homo sapien, like human. a person, like a human people, man, and they most worthy adversary and they over consume <laughs> and they over consumed fat soluble vitamins like vitamin A, for example, where would you find that? Uh, like maybe eating three or four pounds of liver a week. Mm. And then from that overconsumption of liver, you get a blocking of not only carbohydrate, but mm-hmm. protein uh, synthesis because, but you know, and then, and then who all knew? the result is human sloth syndrome. And then, who, who and, then and then the, the Krebs cycle somehow magically works when you remove all those nutrients and it's just super inefficient because it's pulling everything from fat, mm-hmm. which means that theoretically you could survive on just fat if you had to. So 
If you're wondering if you have human sloth syndrome, let me read off some symptoms. Uh, You would get a series of tests through maybe you host a podcast, co-host, and you have access to all sorts of really switched on people to take into account like jawline, optimal jaw alignment for performance. Let's say you, what, are you pointing at you? I have an optimal jawline. Okay. Let's say you also get this DEXA scan and you find out that you have above average, but not quite too far above average well, bone density. Uh, above average, but below average in this room. Right. Yeah. Uh, what else would you find <laughs> out? Well, with you the would, intern... You I'm, would have access to, to, like to organizations biome. like Longevity who have awesome gut biome tests. And Dr. Cosenta. Tom... At Cosenta to find out like your gut biome health is optimal. You're, you don't have a ton of inflammation. Sure. You would, you would present... You would have a life of opportunity to lift weights and get strong and get fast. But somehow with all of these cards and all these chips in your favor, you're just still a human sloth. <laughs> That's well, how you know. Maximized my genetic potential. <laughs> as we, no, you haven't. As we like yeah, to ref- well, he's a genetic dumpster fire. No, because your Krebs cycle is inefficient. No, oh, I'm at, operating nope. at 80%. So despite of that, 80%? according to Dr. Christie. <laughs> so Dr. Christie I, told you that despite a Krebs cycle that is uh, macronutrient. Well, uh, in, in spite. Whatever. So you are basically blocked the body's ability to convert carbohydrate and protein in the Krebs cycle. You're still yeah. functioning at 80% on your, oh, yes. on your metabolism. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've got to make a few adjustments. <laughs> To, when I said to, to, to reach eat, 100, two to four ounces, maybe like one to three ounces. I thought you said 24. <laughs> but you've been eating three or four pounds. That's like 48 to like. No, so there, I was over on the servings because I went back and 64 checked. 64 ounces. Uh, they're like, they're four ounce servings. So if you're doing that a day, it's four ounces a day. And if you're doing it five days a week, it's 20. It's still 20 ounces. It's still, it's still too much. Mm-hmm. So that would be, it's still pretty aggressive. So it, ladies and gentlemen. In an attempt to to beef up his micronutrient intake and diversify his protein selections, he created Tex metabolic inflexibility. Has been eating beef liver, right? Uh, yeah, livers, beef livers, beef livers. <laughs> and what we found in recent blood testing, he was down in uh, Scottsdale. Thank God, I got him down in Scottsdale at Cosenta and found out that maybe he's taken it a little too far. So we're interested in right now. Our episode today is solely about Texas dietary well, interventions that help. Well, you make I it. just did a whole uh, talk and presentation on the idea, or on what I'm calling metabolic flexibility, that there's a direct relationship between the health and how metabolically flexible you are. And mm-hmm. the most metabolically flexible people are the ones that can consume the most varieties so of crazy. food. And the other interesting fact, and this was through a uh, pretty interesting research I found was that the more metabolically flexible you are, the more skeletal muscle you can carry. So a great indication of metabolic flexibility is skeletal muscle. So the most jack people have the most uh, metabolic diversity or uh, metabolic flexibility. It's so funny. While you guys were away, I was just presenting the intern with my new presentation, which is called metabolic mobility. And since it has alliteration, it's going to fucking stop your stupid flexibility because it's just stretching. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now you're going to become a metabolic leper. So how does one metabolically like, stretch? Is it by eating a whole tray of pound cake? <laughs> <laughs> Today, fast food. Mm. Uh, so, are, are you pulling up your Krebs cycle right here? Yeah. So the fact that I just am, oh man, 
I'm going to go over this a little bit. I, uh, That's a legit picture of a sloth. I <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's just one cell. Uh, you should look up. It's called the it's uh, the Great North American Sloth. It was huge. I, uh, there's um, some skeletal remains of it at the Houston Museum. We went down and saw. Pretty amazing looking. Reminded me a lot of Tex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tex, we're just kidding. We're happy that you found this, and we get to see this intervention, and we get to see a transformation in your ability to perform mm-hmm. in the weight yeah, room. Yeah, I've got 20 more percent up to go up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it works like that. <laughs> Right. So do you think if you if you address and you if you address oh, intervene and address that twenty percent deficiency system, my immune system mm-hmm. is operating at eighty percent function despite of some of my well poor nutritional um, choices. Um, so so I misguided. Think, I think what what we found was that um, mm-hmm. and, and I'd, I'd be interested to see how how it paired up against the longevity stuff. But the lack of gut inflammation is probably somehow protecting you from a uh, a sloth like uh, uh actually cycle. direct quote from christy she's like you're operating like you're operating way above you're no, punching no, no. way above your fucking uh, uh, uh if i i'm able to sustain but say there's a long trip or like a harsh weekend or i have to miss two meals in a row then there's potential problem i've got no like reserves, reserves, you have no, dude. Count. Your margin of error is so tiny mm-hmm. that anything outside that margin of error just implodes you. This is why the, he's a snack monster. <laughs> snack, snack. <laughs> I don't get it. You uh, can't operate without the snacks. Yeah, you go, oh, snack, eating food. I don't think I sound like that. Uh, kind of like in. Uh, you, I literally couldn't tell the difference. You remember Lionel from um, Thundercats? Yeah, you remember Snarf? Snack, snack, snarf, snarf. snarf you're Snarf. So, ladies and gentlemen, what can you take away from this? The burn ban is off. <laughs> but we'll turn it back on because it's time to get into this episode. Uh, but before we do that, it, Tex, it's Wade's Army season. What does that mean That's for the listeners? Ba, 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 ba. We are dropping in September. This is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. This is mm-hmm. a great opportunity to raise awareness for all kids and families in the fight with pediatric cancer. So the MLB, they're making a big push, as they do every single year. So if you see them rocking yellow armbands throughout the season, that represents childhood or pediatric cancer. And so pediatric cancer only gets 4% funding in research from the government. Wade's Army, the 501c3 started by John and Kate Wellborn, we are in a direct fight with the, the, with the families. So we're working hand-in-hand. Hand. If a family has to move because there's only 18 treatment facilities specifically for neuroblastoma in the United States. If you don't live within one of those treatment centers drivability, you have to uproot your entire Mm -hmm. family to move so your child can get treatment for this pediatric cancer. And it's a lot more prevalent than people make it out to be. It's not a a well-known name like leukemia, but guess what? This is our mission with Wade's Army is to give neuroblastoma a name. Mm-hmm. So we, we got our new our new T-shirts out. You can head to wadesarmy.org to, to find out how to donate to receive your T-shirt. And we're excited to announce one of our big missions this year is we started fundraising for this last year, but now we're going all in. So we're able to fund the full kitchen for the kids' children's hospital in Cincinnati. So Cincinnati Children's Hospital going all in for helping them build the kitchen in their, their new ward. So excited about that. So again, John, you want to add anything about the cause and the fight? Because we've been at it for a long no, time. No, uh, we're going this year with the slogan to join the fight, um, to really rally. And it always goes back to the idea of, you know, 
and I remember years ago when we started talking about this and Kate was like, you know, how do we move the needle? I'm like, it's going to take an army. And that's where the Wade's army uh, name came from. And then every army needs a uniform. So that's where the shirt designs. And I still remember uh, designing these shirts and printing them out. And Luke and I sitting there for days, what it felt like packing these things into envelopes and to go from these austerior, humble beginnings into seeing what we've been able to create in the last bunch of years and being able to extend this mission. And um, I think we're, you know, everybody's so focused on, and actually I saw, I, I posted today on Facebook, but I saw the deal that uh, over 50% of the people that get involved in the cancer fight are uh, either bankrupt after two years or so far in debt that like bankruptcy is really the only option because the treatments and what cancer causes and the way that these groups and the, and the, the treatment prices, and it's just, it's fucking awful. Bad. It's an $80 billion a year business uh, that results in about a 0.01% survival rate. Um, it's, um, it's fucking awful. And the problem comes down to is you have drug companies and you have a lot of individuals that are trying to develop these drugs as like a blanket approach, but that doesn't work. And the reason we don't, and I was going over genetic research with Dr. Tom for me personally the other day, um, as we were pulling up, a, and I went through a pretty extensive genome deal, he pulled up a page that had, I think, probably 20 genes and 20 mutations on there that they had never seen in history. And I asked Tom, I was like, is this normal? He's like, yeah, everybody I pull up, there's genes and mutations that they've never seen on the face of the planet in any of the research. So everybody is so uniquely different in terms of the genetic code that uh, being able to design a one-size-fits-all drug is almost an exercise in futility, and all it does is really good at just siphoning money out of people's pockets. And so instead of going down this route, really the goal we wanted to is to assist the families and help fight for the people that don't have a voice and be able to help them and support them in any way we can. And that's Wade's army. So like I said, it's going to take an army and, uh, you know, uh, your, your donation and support is appreciated in, in, in exchange. Um, we get you a t-shirt. Now we're not selling t-shirts. We're giving you a t-shirt because we want you to support. So please remember if like something gets messed up, getting hate mail for people that haven't got their shirt and we're like, dude, you're donating to a cancer charity. We're giving you the shirt in appreciation. So, um, Saddle up, and then we always do. We have Wade's Day, which uh, November twelfth. November twelfth. Wade passed away November twelfth, two thousand eleven, and so we do a workout. We post it on social media and everywhere. So um, that's Wade's Day, and really that becomes our rallying point. And it's a nasty workout that I programmed on CrossFit Football. All the programs here on Power Athlete, from Field Strong Bedrock to Grindstone to Jack Street to Johnny Watt, everybody does it, and we put it out on social media. We have gyms like um, you know Romeo's Gym that. Uh, uh, you know, does an amazing thing in terms of, you know, getting people together, Tony Fu and all the crew and all the block one coaches do so well rallying around and really bringing support and uh, um, just really always eternally very grateful and uh, very blessed that we have friends like we do. Yep. So if you, one, go to wadesarmy.org, donate for your short shirt. Two, if you want to join the fight and become a fundraiser, the link is also there to just com- promote this within your community or your family or friends and just spread awareness for neuroblastoma and make this pediatric cancer a household name. It's hard not to do. If if you're strapped, you can kick in cash, just help share, follow Wade's Army on social, share the posts, and just let's give it a name, right? 
But uh, thanks, as always, for anybody who's been involved in that in the past. And for any new folks who are jumping on to join the fight, we appreciate it. Uh, moving on and getting into the episode today. It is not actually about Texas Krebs cycle. Thank God. Although we could just pull a 180 and do a whole other hour on it, John, if uh, you'd like. No. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, before the podcast, after the information this morning, I wasted about 90 minutes researching this because uh, mm-hmm. I was confused on how this was possible. But uh, we can get on that another time on the podcast. Okay. I think we have a, a kick-ass podcast with a guest I'm excited to talk about. We've heard him speak at Summer Strong and, yeah. and peripherally. I've seen his stuff for years, and um, I'm stoked we finally get him on and have a cool conversation. Yeah, Ryan Mitchler, who's the host of the Order of Man podcast, is probably how he's best known, right? And he's got a blog as well and social and all that um, is on the show today to talk a little bit about what I guess his <clears throat> his foundation and his pillars of masculinity and where dudes fit in kind of the social space and how how you yourself can calibrate and see how you could get better and, and it doesn't be mean you have version. to be in a shitty position like you don't have to be down in the dumps you don't have to be in the gutter it just means it's giving you a framework and a structure for you to improve and continually improve, which I think everybody should strive to do, right? Regardless of your accomplishments and achievements and where you're at today. So let's get chatting with Ryan. Ryan, thanks for jumping on the show, man. Uh, what's going on? Just life, just life, living it up. I just got off another podcast and so excited to be here joining you guys. Yeah, so Ryan, I, if our guests don't know who you are, don't listen to your podcast, why don't you give a little intro and they can just get a little flavor and then we can, we'll continue to dig in uh, over the next hour or so. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, uh, Order Man is my podcast, so it's all geared towards helping men achieve more in their lives, helping them become more capable fathers, husbands, business owners, community leaders, whatever facet of life they're showing up. So we've been going for about four almost four and a half years now. It's crazy. Um, it's really exploded, which is a testament to the fact that guys want, uh, want more of this stuff and, and want to lead and want to be capable. So it's been a, it's been a good adventure over the past several years. Nice man. And so how many episodes you got out there? Oh, I don't man. Uh, 450, maybe closer to 500, somewhere oh, in there. Yeah. Man, that's a lot of episodes. Next question. Yeah. How many, yeah. Ep- how many episodes did you suck? Uh, all, all of them, but the last one was pretty good. Yeah, we're still working on it. We're at 300. Uh, dude, our original podcast. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm kind of nervous when people are like, oh, I listened to podcast 25. I'm like, ooh. Ooh, yeah. You're like, don't listen to that. Somebody listen actually to that. told me to listen to my first podcast. I'm like, don't do that. Don't do that. Hang on. Um, I want to read a... Yeah, you go ahead, Ryan. Better. No, no, I'm, I'm getting better. It's just, it's just like anything. It just takes time. I want to read a review on Stitcher <laughs> for... Okay. Our for mine or one? for your guys? No, this is for... Is, is this for our first, ours. Is this our first okay. one? There's only right. four reviews because we don't have, I guess, a lot, not a lot of Stitcher folks or they're okay. just yeah. not common. Um, sorry, guys. Show is boring and goes nowhere. Save your time for something more productive like walking the dog. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, brushing your teeth. What year, right? what, what year is this? This is July 1st, 2019. <laughs> <laughs> it's like two weeks ago. No, no. This is, this is like five years ago. And like, you know, it's funny, Ryan, thinking back to just like us sitting in that single microphone and so many echoes and that weird like the fucking garbage truck yeah, that would come would by always come uh, just drop dumpsters outside and the, the crazy part was that the trash truck usually came at like six o'clock in the morning other than on the days when we just randomly had podcasts <laughs> where there would be like a random trash truck would just show up and like kung, 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 yeah we'd be like how is this always happening of course it's how uh, it goes it's how it goes it's, you got to pay your dues right i guess 
That's yeah. A- absolutely. Yeah, but I mean, isn't that what we talk about like the process of like going from like suck to good and then being able to laugh about like, oh, dude, we were really awful. Well, like the but, Dave Grohl quote that floats around every once in a while, like you want to, you know, you got to play in a band and suck for like 10 years and then yeah. eventually you're Nirvana or something like along the lines of that bastardized. But yeah, he was, truth it's the tuition, right? You got to pay the tuition. I think there's too many people who think they can have the result without the effort. And then they're disappointed when they don't get it as quickly as they would have hoped. It's like you didn't earn it. So why do you think you can have it? Or people uh, don't want to suck at something so they never started like oh uh, i won't be yeah. good and they're you know like they're upset that they're just not instantly good this is something i talk about with my kids all the time i'm like how come i'm not good at this i'm like have you ever done it before they're like no and i'm like okay well, that's what you expect right? yeah, yeah. Did, did you just expect like aptitude and then this aptitude would allow you to go on and do something i'm like life doesn't work like that right yep so agreed Ryan, you I spoke think that's at, the ego oh, speaking, though, too. Sorry, interrupted yeah. you. I think it's just the ego speaking, right? We got to we gotta protect those fragile egos of ours, and it keeps us from doing what could actually be a really good thing for us. Is it ego or ignorance, though? No, like, it's, do you just not know any better? No, it's, it's like strength training. Like, um, I remember going in and, like, lifting weights, and I can, dude, I, I can, like, picture, uh, I can actually see it, and I remember the smell of the gym because it was uh, our, our weight room. I went in the gym, and I had never lifted weights. And, like, I remember the first day, of course, we went to bench, and they asked us to max out on bench, and I benched nice. uh, 115. And uh, I just was, like, didn't know if that was good or bad. I just knew that, like, there were a lot of people stronger than me, and dudes repping 135. And I remember, like, humiliation of, like, not being as strong as them, even though I had no frame of reference for strength. I just knew that others were stronger than me, and I didn't like it. And uh, I remember thinking, like, I'm weak today, but I'm not going to be weak forever. I'm going to I'm going to be good at this thing one day. And like uh, like that, like little bit of like embarrassment and um, like kick to the balls and all that was probably really good because uh, shit, man. Like, uh, I think a lot of people learn out of like a little bit of embarrassment and a little bit of shame is sometimes a powerful, powerful motivator yeah, and teacher. Humbled. I mean, but and then you have people that are like, I well, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a. That's probably more of a rarity than anything else. The fact that it just pissed you not off enough to make you want to want to be successful. But, but heaven forbid we use shame to get anybody to do what they should be doing. You know, I think that's one of the things we see in society today. It's like you, you, we have this. What is it that the, the body positive movement? It's like you just be happy with who you are, even if you're mediocre. Like, why would you want to be happy about that? But mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's a rarity to find people who look at inadequacies in their life and think, OK, I got to fix this. Well, I rather mean, than just settle for it. But that's the hard thing with like, um, and uh, this is kind of a deep dive, but I think where things are a little bit different is I, I dude, I think shame is a powerful motivator. I've always said it. Like if you can actually like look at yourself honestly and think, Hey, I'm not as good as I can be, or there's people that are better than me and this is upsetting me. And instead of like getting on the internet and blogging, complaining about it, trying to change the other side and the paradigm, how about just fix your fucking self like the age old like oh you know body positive you know i'm on this way like why not just get in better shape uh instead of me being in there and just doing like nothing but bad mouthing this the culture of strength and being like well all these people are bigger than me and they've had more opportunity and complaining just being like this is day one and you know what on day two i'm gonna be stronger than i was on day one and after i stack it up and i i did an instagram post the other day um I was going like texting. I just got back from Virginia beach. We, uh, had a, a pretty cool deal where we went with four days and worked with some pretty high speed clandestine cats. And, um, as I was going looking for one of my talks, 
uh, I found my freshman football picture. And then right below it, like one of my pictures, I think it was within like maybe my last or second to last year with the Chiefs. And so it was like 1990 versus 2007. It was like 17 years difference. And I'm like, I weighed 165. I was 310 in this picture. I benched 115. I benched 500. And I like remember the numbers and like I kind of just posted them up. And uh, it's just like, ah, like I was six foot 165 and then I was six, six, you know, 310 pounds. Like that didn't happen overnight. That was 17 years of progress, but you know what? I've been chipping away at this thing for a long time. And, um, I think what happens is people don't, one, they don't give them enough time. And two, um, I think, man, people aren't in it for the long haul, which seems crazy to me. So, you know, I think that's a, I think that's a product of social media, right? We jump on social media and we see all these great things and we don't see all the effort that goes on behind it. And then we wonder why we're not achieving that level of success because you didn't do the behind the scenes. Like you just want the highlight reel. But I also think it, it represents a level of maturity for someone who can think, you know, I'm not where I want to be, uh, but I know I can get there. And we have these really, really immature people running around uh, and it's unfortunate because they think that, you know, everything revolves around them and that they don't have what they want. It's because somebody else did something to them. It's a real problem with, uh, well, I, I don't know if it's modern society or if it's just human nature in general. Well, I mean, but, uh, Luke and I talk about this. I mean, haven't we effectively reached a point where everything is too easy? Like, um, you know, I remember, God, this was a while ago. We watched this deal where these girls, um, God, I think there's a documentary about it, but there are these girls in Africa that wake up at like three in the morning and they have to run. I think it's like five miles each way to get fresh water. So they run out, they wake up, they sprint, they get the water, they come home, they run 10 miles, they get ready, then they go to school and then they have to travel like some insane distance to get to the bus. And it's like they have to like look out for uh, kidnappers to like alligators and lions eating them. And it's like, then they get to school, they ride the bus some crazy amount of time, they go to school and they come back. And uh, uh, like Luke's like... I think if you got to run 10 miles just to get fresh water and you're trying to worry about not getting eaten by lions every single way, just trying to navigate yourself to the bus, you're probably not overly concerned with a lot of the things that other people are like, yeah, like uh, the hot topic, social. Yeah. Being like, Oh, shit. this guy may, you know, was man, was it man spacing me or like, what was the other thing? Virtue signaling and all these other, I no you know, oh, dude, I, I know a manscaping I, is. <sighs> so a dude was manscaping you. No man spacing. Tex oh. told me this. What is this? That's oh, where you sit with your legs open. Basically, say we're sitting on a subway or a bus and we got just a wide-legged stance and our knees are touching someone else. Or like you're sitting in the middle oh, of the an airplane John stand? and both your knees are to touching John? someone. No, well, this is sitting next to John on an airplane where he, you know, granted he's... First of three- all, <laughs> first of all, I got big legs and a big ass uh-huh. and I got like, you know, fairly uh, decent male parts. So it's not like mm-hmm. I can like cross my knees like, a, you know, like somebody M-A-I-L or M-A-L-E? <laughs> but, uh, so case in point text gave me jordan peterson's book and i did a deep dive and started looking at it and there was a lot of these super interesting different like uh, classifications for a lot of these things that i never really knew existed but i just remember like as people are going through these perceived slights uh i always go back to that thought of like if you got to run 10 miles for clean water you're probably not worried about these slights mm-hmm. yeah and there's well, i mean i think it's that humans crave they crave challenge and adversity. And if we don't have it in our lives, we make dumb shit up to worry about so we can be challenged. Problem is it's not anything worth being upset about. Like some teenager put the wrong flavor in your mocha frappuccino or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what you want to, that's what you want to concern yourself with. But that's what we do because we have no struggle. We have no challenge and adversity. We got to make things up. Well, that, and also the only thing that should go in coffee is more coffee. 
that's that's <laughs> like go. that's like our basic of understanding. Like, ah, uh, do you want anything in your coffee? Yeah, more coffee. What about yep, coffee? A little bit of scotch, bourbon. What in coffee? Sure. Well, I mean, we could put whiskey and coffee and have Irish mm-hmm. coffees, but we sure. only but we only have those at the Buena Vista in San Francisco. Ah, I see. Only ah, it's really, I remember you bringing well, over unless the some Irish coffees on Thanksgiving the, last year. Unless the, the ruined myself. Unless the Irish coffee is from the Buena Vista, which we ah, have the glasses yes. and the whole deal. Text time we were in San Francisco. How many Irish coffees did we have? Five. That's too many. I thought we had more than that. That's too each. many. Five each. each. Oh, okay. But we we were going to shoot for eight, but we I still had to drive. That's why we had five. So Ryan, we had the opportunity to connect at Summer Strong this year, and you were one of their awesome presenters and you spoke of your your military background service and i'd love to talk about how that built some perspective for you because you built in some some leadership into your discussion and even talked about one failed podcast in your process to create the order of a man so i'd love to dive into what you spoke about this year at summer strong and and lessons that you've accumulated in the past four years of the order of man yeah, I mean, I can go back to that failed podcast. I don't know if it was a failed podcast as much as I'd say I threw in the towel. Um, and I did not because I wanted to quit podcasting, but just because I wanted to pivot and talk about something else. So I, I'm a financial advisor by trade. Um, I got into the business after I got back from Iraq in 2006. And so I did that for about 10 years. Uh, I worked for a couple of companies and then I went out and started my own. And Uh, I was really thinking about how I could get new clients, how I could market to new clients. And so I thought, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Why don't I start something up? So I did about, I don't know, I did about 20 episodes or so and realized I really, really enjoyed the medium of podcasting and having the conversations, uh, but just wasn't interested in having that same conversation. So that's why I started, uh, that's why I started Order of Man in, like I said, 2015 and Man, it took off. I mean, from the day from the day that we released it, I think we did more podcasts or downloads that day that we released it than I'd ever done with the financial planning podcast. So it kind of opened my eyes to what was available. But it was it was good because I was able to cut my teeth with something else and then pivot into something that was a little bit more meaningful or has grown into something more meaningful for me now. But yeah, I mean, we can unpackage any of those lessons or anything that you guys want to talk about specifically. No problem. Yeah, I was gonna. Uh, I was always interested. Are there pillars? Um, you know, I mean, I, I constantly go back and they've heard these guys talk about like, you know, different pillars of, uh, performance and whatnot, but I wonder if your order of man, like, are there pillars upon what you build upon? Yeah. I mean, so when I started, I started a YouTube channel that, and, and I think I put, um, what was it called? Something like eight strategies every man needs to know something along those lines. But for me, uh, I've really distilled, distilled that down to responsibilities more than pillars, so the responsibilities of what it means to be a man is that of a protector, a provider, and a presider. And everything that we do in our lives from our workouts to the way we communicate to developing and gaining new skills to whatever, anything that we do should be helping us be more capable in, in one, if not all of those areas. Again, protector, provider, presider. So, you know, when I look at my responsibility and the way that I'm showing up, I'm asking myself, is what I'm doing currently helping move me towards being more proficient? in each one of those areas. If it is, then I double down on that. If it isn't, then uh, I do to replace it with something that is. So how do you dodge the idea or I guess, do you catch any flack for, for having this be associated with like a gender and uh, I guess a biological sex that, you know, there's these three responsibilities of dudes. Like some dudes don't feel like they 
necessarily have to be proficient in those categories. And maybe well, the I wife mean, wears the pants. Um, that's not accurate. Like, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Like, it's just, if, if somebody doesn't think they have to be that, if a man doesn't think he has to be that, then he's living less than he's capable of. And he knows it. And mm-hmm. that's probably why he's depressed and down on himself and achieving less than he, than he knows he's capable of. So when these guys talk about I'm depressed and I'm down and I'm suicidal and my wife doesn't appreciate me and I'm not getting nowhere in my career, it's because you don't espouse those virtues. So you, you can hold on to that belief, but it's not serving you. Uh, and if anybody wants to, to battle with me on that, that's, that's fine. You know, somebody asked me earlier about marriage and why I'm, why I'm married. And I said, here's what I've gained from being married. And he says, well, you don't have to be married to have those things. I'm like, fine, don't get married. I, I'm not here to convince anybody that my way of seeing the world is right. I'm here to rally those of us who believe it is. And if I can help you be more proficient in those things, because you believe it's valuable, then let's do it. If not, then go your merry way. And I hope you find what you're looking for. Um, so I, I just, I don't need to convince anybody. Well, and, and the idea is um, something that we've always talked about is uh, our message isn't for everybody. And I don't want everybody and I don't need everybody. And we'll constantly get these things like the other day. I mean, one of our training programs uh, is called Johnny Wad. And it's a spoof on, you know, when I observed the CrossFit community in this like, you know, the girl basically posting a workout in her underwear where work or posting pictures of working out like in what would I consider to be underwear? Yeah, scantily clad. Scantily clad and then posting a Bible verse. Sure. Like I just saw this like huge thing where people were talking about performance and all these other things, but all they're doing is taking like pretty much naked selfies. And I was like, this is so disingenuous. So instead of just throwing stones at it, I just started Johnny Wad, which is a uh, basically based off across the football and it's a training program uh, that makes no illusions about it. I mean, dude, I, and it's, you know, spoof, obviously work out of the day, but Johnny Wad was John Holmes's alter ego. And those of you guys don't know who John Holmes is, you can go Google him. And so I just write everything from not at work. No, and yeah. make sure well, you're not Holmes on images, right? Highlights. Not safe for work. John Holmes highlights. <laughs> and uh, bloopers. I mean, Luke, Luke bloopers. Summer's YouTube page. Uh, yeah, there. Yeah. Uh, Boner Jams look with up, three. Uh, Johnny Wad, Nina Hartley. Um, that'll really get you going. So uh, I wrote this thing, and we put up this program, and it's been super successful, but it's written with like a lot of innuendos and tongue in cheek, and it's just, I think it's funny. And on occasion, we'll get people who are like, oh, I. Uh, you know, I didn't really like all the innuendos. And I'm like, ah, like that's what the program was written. The name, everything about it is written from not a sexist point of view, but just a really fun tongue in cheek thing. And it's like, it's interesting when people are offended by stuff like that. And I'm like, dude, it even says it on there, like everything about it. And I, um, I tend to agree with you, man. Um, uh, there's a lot of things that we see all the time where I'm like, man, like that just, that just doesn't fly. That just uh, that's wouldn't float around us, and it wouldn't float around me. And I, th- those aren't necessarily things that I would espouse. And I think that there's a confusion with uh, some of the gender stuff. I mean, if you go and you look at like, you know, some of the what I would call gender gender traits is my interesting way of putting it. But like things that are more, uh, you know, uh, Tex and I were talking about uh, bookies reading what was like the yin and the yang, the feminine energy, male energy. That there has to be balance within them. And I think what's interesting is that like there's an idea that they want to paint more, I don't know, like dudes are dudes, chicks are like women are women. And there's definitely gender roles and things that identify. And I'm sure there's crossovers and they're not a hundred percent, but, but for the most part, the guys that have seen that are depressed or have some of the issues are the guys that are the farthest away from some of those things, which I'm 
pretty sure it's a hundred percent true. I mean, yeah. And, and, and I, I do like that you talk about crossover. I mean, there is right. I mean, we, we can, we can, as men exhibit what would traditionally be considered feminine traits, empathy, love, kindness, compassion, right? We, we can exhibit those women can exhibit what would be traditionally viewed as, as masculine traits, strength, aggression, dominance, competitiveness, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not, not that it's exclusive to male or female. It's just that we naturally possess some different characteristics generally that are going to help us step into those roles. I mean, even that word or that phrase of, of gender roles triggers people. It's like, why do you think their traditional gender roles? Could it be that they actually work and they have worked for thousands of years and we've evolved in order to step into these roles uh, more proficiently and, and again, make ourselves more capable and it seems to work pretty well when, when we operate like that. And when we don't, it seems to go, go south. It has for me anyways. Why do you think that is? Like, why is it that there's this, uh, this movement right now to kind of gender scrub? I mean, we're seeing it like, um, you know, in Northern Europe, I mean, uh, you see these kind of homogeneous cultures like uh, Norway and Sweden and uh, some of those others where there's kind of, I mean, Denmark, especially where they've kind of erased. I mean, I remember, I think we were in Denmark years ago. And there was a sign in the urinal that was a dude standing there, obviously peeing with a cross, with a X or like a, a, a circle and a line through it. And so I went into the bathroom. I didn't really think anything of it. Uh, there were no urinals. And then when I asked, I was like, hey, there's like a sign of like a dude peeing with a line. What's that all about? And they were like, oh, they don't want you standing to pee. They want you to sit. Nice. And I was like, <laughs> my legs are tired. I'm I was, traveling. <laughs> I was like, I was like, why? And they were like, oh, well, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, kind of this dumb. And I was like. And then they asked me what you do. I'm like, I just pissed on everything. I pissed on the sign. And <laughs> this reminds were, me of a joke. <laughs> this reminds me of a joke. Right? It just, it, it was kind of an interesting, uh, that was really the first time and shit, man, this was, this was a few years ago that we were that since I was, uh, in, uh, in Copenhagen for that. And it just was, that was really the first time I saw it. And then I kind of got into it with somebody about it, how, you know, there needs to be a shared division of both taking the children, which I hundred agree. I mean, geez, I think they give like six months of maternity leave for both parents. Um, which so, is power athletes policy. If I recall, uh, no, what? Um, <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> you get one week <laughs> as you will. John, six no. hours. Six yeah, so hours. Ryan, I'm like, on the verge of having first baby and I hit up John. I'm like, Hey, so what's our, like, uh, you know, what do you want to do about like paternity leave? He's like, what do you need a day off? Is it a day? You think a day would do? <laughs> I'm like, uh, how about a year? Time off. <laughs> I dude, I told him the one, um, I like, so my mom had me at like seven thirty in the morning. And, uh, so my mom, you know, my dad had gone to work and my mom, you know, went into labor. So, uh, her and my grandmother went to the hospital and then my dad showed up and so she had me at 7.30 in the morning. And my dad's like, if we get her out of here before noon, can I only pay a half day? So we did. <laughs> and uh, my, my dad came home, made everything was fine, and then went back to the office. So typical Bob Wellborn. And uh, I just laugh at that one. I'm like, now it'd be like, holy shit, there'd be people supposing on social media what a fucking asshole your husband is. Mm -hmm. And uh, But, like, it's just... Um, and not to say, like, that 1950s mentality was the right one, but it's pretty interesting. Like, uh, Ryan, uh, I'm sure you have kids, correct? Yeah, four. Okay, you got four kids. Uh, I, I got three. It's kind of like when the kids fall and hurt themselves, they don't come running to me. 
they like mama they like kind of cry mom and they go over and mom is very good yeah. about like making it all fine which is totally fine with me and people are like are you okay with that i'm like 100 percent because i'm just gonna go i'm gonna rub it and say get back out there like right. they know like like there's and very appropriate by the way you know i think i think we get wrapped up in this thing where it's like well dad's way is wrong or mom's way is wrong no both are appropriate that's why we handle it differently my uh my second son was out on his dirt back like dirt bike i can't say that last night and he was coming in, he couldn't hit the brake and he, he, he just kind of leaned it over on himself and landed right on him. My wife ran over, rushed over. I'm like, hon, just stop for a second. Like it's apparent that he's not injured. He, he, he's maybe banged up a little bit, maybe a little embarrassed. Just stop for a second. So she stopped. I'm like, get up, lift the bike up, slide your leg out and pull the bike back up, which he did. And he was fine. And he was teary eyed and had a little bruises on his leg, but you know, both are appropriate. We just need to figure out in what situation and what context is, is going to be best for our kids or whoever it is we're trying to serve. Uh, how old is he? He's seven. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah. it's a, that's a, like my little boy. People thought I was crazy. He was, he's three and I have, he has a, he has a quad and then my mm. girls, uh, we got a little, like they have a little side-by-side razor and they race it around, but they've crashed it so many times. Like, yeah, I got to fix it now, but yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you, dude. Like, um, it's uh, it, it's interesting. The things that we thought were just very like normal, now people are like, "Oh, are, you know, I'm you know seven years old. That's pretty young to be riding a dirt bike." I'm like, uh, "Want a bet?" Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I think I think it's a little late. I'm like, "We got them started too late on this thing, man." Yeah, yeah, but I mean, that's kind of a weird thing. Like, just an example. Um, my, like I said, my dad was a lawyer, and uh, he's old time lawyer. And he, I remember we got like this Volkswagen Rabbit and trade. And uh, so we had this like kind of piece of crap in 1982 Volkswagen Rabbit, which uh, was like just a spare car we had around. So my brothers and I started driving it and I was saying I was driving it at 11 and I like cruising around the neighborhood and my brother had to go somewhere in it. I would get to drive home and we were sitting around with my brother and his kids and like my, my nephew's 13 or 14. And I'm like, um, so do you know how to drive? And he's like, no, I haven't driven yet. And I looked at my brother and my brother kind of like shrugged his shoulders and I'm like, <laughs> I was like, what, what the hell? He's Are like, dude, serious? he's like, yeah. we did not grow up conventional. I'm like, we did grow up like conventional. This is bullshit. He should be driving. And so I, I got into it and my brother's wife is like, well, it seems a little young. And my brother just kind of looks, he's like, um, no, that's not young at all. Um, and my, and yeah. then of course it's like, looked at my mom and my mom's like, yeah, they were like, I don't know, 10, 12, 13, driving the car down to the store and around the neighborhood. Yeah. And it's just, uh, and then, uh, and then we always hear it was different times. And I'm like, well, we didn't have social media to post it on, so we wouldn't get our parents in trouble. But like, are times really that different or are people different? We're just, yeah, that's what it is. People are different. We're just weaker. Generally, we're just weaker, right? Now, there's threats we need to worry about, no doubt. But I think generally people are weaker than they were before, which makes it different times. So Rob Wolf and I talk about this, and I was talking to Parsley about, uh, Doc Parsley is, um, he's, uh, was a former Navy SEAL, and then he was, uh, um, one of the docs for the SEAL teams for years. He's here in Austin, comes and trains with us in the morning. So he came down to have coffee today, and we were talking about, like, some of the blood work stuff. Like, we just got done doing all this, like, um, gut biome, uh, you know, uh, GI tract, uh, testing. And so I was going over some of the stuff with, uh, with Parsley, especially on the blood work. And he was like, you know, like, uh, what is it, sex... Globulin binding hormone. Is that right? SGBH. Okay. I'm fucking, I can't remember. Yeah, it's one, I, of, it's one of the other. So he was talking about like, Hey, your grandfather was probably like a six or a seven. And now a, a pretty good number for guys today is like in the thirties. So mm-hmm. obviously the more you have, the more it binds up testosterone. So you have less free testosterone. So they talked about like, uh, you know, our grandfathers were probably six or sevens and now like a good numbers, anything less than I think like 30, 40 or in the fifties. So we were talking about like, 
why is this the case? And he's like, well, estrogen's higher. Why it could be everything from like leaching plastic. And we went through a bunch of different environmental stuff. And he's like, and on top of it, um, lower testosterone levels, less muscle mass could be from like less hard work, especially as young as a kid and kind of went through all these different processes. And I'm like, so we're just basically weaker. And now the blood is showing us. He's like, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a neighbor here. Uh, We just moved to Maine about a month and a half ago. And I've got a neighbor here who grew up on a farm. Um, He's he's on a ranch and a farm and he's always doing farm work. And he's always out there working in his yard, picking up rocks and everything else. And he came over. He's smaller than me, but he came over and I was trying to move a radiator in our barn out of the way. And that's a heavy that's a heavy thing. If you guys haven't picked up one of those old heating radiators, those things are are massive. They're They're so heavy. Yeah, they're cast cast iron. Yeah. So I'm trying to like inch this thing along the floor and he comes over. He's like, Oh no, 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 you got to do it this way. And he just manhandles this thing. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense that he'd be able to do that. He understands leverage of course, but he also is strong farm boy, strong. You know, he, he grew up using his back and hands and, and muscles and non-conventional ways and everything wasn't always balanced just symmetrically and perfectly. And he's produced the results from it, which has kept his body strong and healthy. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, no, I dude, I, I observed the same thing playing football, man. The guys that grew up on farms and kind of grew yeah, up man, in that throwing hay, deal. right? Yeah, I mean, just you know, throwing hay bales. I dude, I played with yep. that one cat who was who was from Georgia, and I asked him. Uh, he never lifted weights and was like, like playing football to seem like baling hay. And I'm like, how big are hay yeah. bales? It's like 300 pounds. I'm like, yeah, well, that would be about right. And, that makes uh, sense. Yeah, but that I mean, that physical strength, and then also you think, um, uh, like I think people too really have. Um, really gone down the rabbit hole of nutrition and diet as these major factors. Like I, like I remember hearing stories my mom telling about uh, would have been my great grandfather. Um, like in the morning they would get up and eat, they would drink coffee all day and then they would come home and have like a big dinner. And it was like, I mean, it wasn't anything like, I mean, I guess it was all organic cause it was all built on the farm, but like they would eat like two big meals, drink coffee all day. And like, it was just interesting to hear like uh they ate a bunch of like um you know baked bread but i think everything was made and she's like all those dudes all lived to be old strong men like even the guys in their 70s and 80s were still pretty pretty uh, uh pretty durable yeah i heard an interesting uh interesting comment the other day he said and i can't remember who said it but he was talking about exercise zach evanish he was talking about exercise and he says it used to be that we had to do physical labor but now we have to manufacture that label or that labor by working out in the gym and uh, I, I think that's true. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying that's better than nothing, but it is just an interesting phenomenon that we're actually having to manufacture uh, manual labor in order to keep ourselves strong and fit. But maybe, I mean, going back to what you are saying earlier, Ryan, I guess we also manufacture drama. Yeah, like the the other emotional and psychological stressors that maybe uh, we're not exposed to because of the benefits of modern health technologies and uh, other advancements, right? So we need that ebb and flow of stress to progress, or uh, but we just don't know how to fucking do it as well as lifting up a barbell. Well, well, think and about I'm, and I'm not oh. saying that those things, and when I say manufacture, we're working out, I, it, it may sound like there's a negative connotation. I right, don't mean right. it that way. What I'm saying is that those of us who choose to do it, it's now, it's now a choice. It didn't used to be a choice, but now we voluntarily have to decide I am going to exert myself physically in order to keep myself in shape. Whereas before 40, 50, 60, 70, hundred years ago, it wasn't a choice. It was just a way of life, right? Yeah, and I think, and I'm with you on that. And I think that people don't 
understand. Maybe that's where it comes with like uh, the ability to debate, right? And uh, have these hard conversations. Uh, we were talking. You're, you're exercising that proverbial stressor. I know where you're going with this. Um, but there's an inability. You just fold under no, the fucking proverbial, proverbial no, barbell. I think where it comes from is uh, lack of community. So um, I think men more than anything, uh, women are really good about building community. Like if you put a bunch of women together, like even though there's the, like hens. Some, uh, the hens, like <laughs> like they're they're quick to create like, uh, you know, things to do together. They like this. And like my, my wife's a classic example. She goes to the gym and then she, you know, the, the kids with school and all these other things. And she's like, oh, I have a thing with the gym and, you know, so and so with the school. And they like create these things. And. I meet their husbands and they seem like nice dudes. Um, I'm not necessarily calling them to like go do stuff because they don't really do the shit we do. But um, I think what it comes down to is guys are a little bit different in terms of like community stuff. So like how do you create your circle in such a way that like people call you on their bullshit? Like we were talking today with Parsley. Like, ah, that's a bad idea. <laughs> so he, he pitched us an idea and we fucking shot holes in it. He's like, wow, that was kind of fucking aggressive. And I'm like, that's what we do here. Uh, if somebody has an idea, somebody has to be the 10th man, which Let's just it. fucking shoots holes in things because <laughs> one, we want the best for you. And two, we have to think through all the contingencies and all the fuck ups. And then you also need people to keep you accountable. Like we have, a, we train in the morning at six and it was, um, Doc was like, because I, I asked him today, I'm like, how do you think it's going? He's like, it's fucking great. He goes, I have a reason to get up and to come and to like fucking get my shit together because I know you guys are going to talk shit to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's like, I, I, even I, if he's not there. I, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> if you're not there, we're just going to text you fucking obscenities. Uh, but he, he, his comment was, um, I wish there was a way for like more guys to have this. And I was like, ah, uh, yeah, but then if it makes it so big, then it just turns into some weird fucking place where dudes are wearing headphones. You know, which is like if you go to Gold's Gym, nobody talks. People just walk around in headphones and don't talk to each other. We're all wearing headphones now. Is this a weird place where dudes wear headphones? But we're talking to each other. Well, yeah. I'm talking to you through wires. I'm talking at <laughs> you. There just happens to be the mic here. <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, I my wife, she's downstairs right now. I can hear her and the kids. But she went to uh, she went to the lake about a month ago, and she came back. She's like, hey, I have a friend. We're just going to do lake day every Tuesday at 2 o'clock or whatever. And, and it's her and five other women with their kids. I'm like, man, that was, that was pretty good. But yeah, I think men do it differently too, right? You, you, you alluded to this. You, you talk about being tough on your guys. And I think there's a biological reason for that. I think the reason we do it is we need to know who's going to bitch out and who isn't, right? Because we, we don't want men around us who, when push comes to shove, are going to bail out and, and jump ship because things get a little hard. So we do push on our potential friends, uh, our brothers, harder than I think women do because we have some hard things that we need to deal with. And I need to know, is this somebody who can handle himself? And if he can't, then he's disinvited from the circle. Well, if he steps up to the plate, then cool. We can look at forming a relationship. Well, kind of like uh, your buddy next door, like uh, all of a sudden you have this fucking cast iron heater. And if you call the dude up and you're like, Hey man, can you come over and help me with this? And he can't lift it. You're like, I'm never fucking calling you again for anything. You better show That's up. Right. Like, um, recently, uh, my wife who was like, Hey, we're going over to so-and-so's house. You know, they have kids that are in our school. The wife invited us over. So we went over for dinner. And so we show up and the dad, uh, who actually I was pretty impressed with had a big green egg. And fucking went all out and like made it like a ton of food, like some like made like he had ribs, he had a bunch of different stuff. Uh, all of a sudden, like produces all of these beers like he like put his best foot forward. And I was like, well played. And uh, his wife's like, he's been very excited uh, that you that you guys were going to come over like this is a big deal. And I was like, as it should be. 
because if he was a hacker, he was, or if I showed up and he didn't have a cool grill or didn't have skills, I would just rat fuck them in the car on the way home because you know how we do it. And, uh, <laughs> and like, and my wife was like, oh, that's a true statement. And, um, it's just, but like, I think that level, uh, keeps people at their toes. And at the end of the day, like, um, when you always want to put your best foot forward and that's kind of a weird deal. Like, I, I just don't know why people would do something and not want to put their best foot forward, especially for people that are in the know, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, agreed. You guys are looking at me. Yes, yes, I agree. (laughs) And even on that note, you know, I would expect my bros to hit me up if I fell short on something, whether it's like due to lack of effort or just put, you know. Are you talking about anything in particular? Uh, let's see. Well, since I overachieve and dominate everything I participate (laughs) in with you fucking donkeys, (laughs) no, but that's my mindset. You could always fucking. Uh, I was going to say, what about Fourth of July? Fourth of July? Oh, I don't know. I had a great time. I had a great, I had a great time. time at a pal's house. Yeah, yeah. Thank God Tamara was there to really <laughs> make sure everything ran smooth. <laughs> well, the fireworks show was on point. <laughs> but I would expect if I had, like, let's say over Thanksgiving, and the turkey was dry, <laughs> and I know it's fucking dry, <laughs> and, like, everybody at my house is like, turkey's pretty good. I'm like, this fucking turkey is not good. Why, are, why is no one here telling me this turkey's bullshit? My dad's like, it's a little dry here. <laughs> <laughs> we had a couple of friends over, and like I want to hear that because I don't know. It, 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 overcooking yeah. turkey is one thing, but like um, overcooking the meat is know, by like, far our biggest sin. But if you're like as it a just coworker, makes you better. That's what it is. It just it just makes you a better human being, and you you could pretend like your blind spots don't exist. And if you surround yourself with a bunch of what I call bobbleheads that are like, yes, 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 everything you do is wonderful. Strokes that ego, man. Feels good, mm-hmm. but it doesn't produce results. It really do you, doesn't. Do you think that there's a certain individual? Like, um, I wonder on this a lot. Like, because uh, I saw it all the time in the NFL, where guys would tend to hang out with people who just were like, you know, part of like the cheering section. Like, they didn't want to hear the hard truth. They just wanted to play around with, like you said, the bobbleheads. And I wonder, like, is that just unique to the NFL? And I always just kind of thought it was, like, guys get to be big time. They just want a bunch of people around. They're going to tell them how fucking great they are. Like, very few people are really looking for somebody to be honest. And I wonder in, like, and, I went, I, and then when I got out of the NFL and got out of the bubble, I realized that that wasn't unique to the NFL, that a lot of people just want to live in their echo chamber and just want everybody to fucking, oh, what you're doing is fucking amazing. Instead of people are like, ah, I don't know, it looks like bullshit. And then it's like, well, why are you hating on me? I'm like, I'm not hating. I'm just calling bullshit. I'm right. not, uh, like, I'm not angry at you. Uh, it's not anything about you as a human or like, I don't dislike you or like you, but it just sounds like bullshit. And that happens to us um, at least what? A hundred times a day, we're like, ah, it just seems like bullshit. And uh, that that's a weird one where I think, um, is it a higher level or, you know, like, what have you encountered with that one? Because, uh, I mean, shit, you run a podcast called The Order of Man. So I imagine uh, your podcast unpacks everything from both physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, all the parts of what, you know, that have to deal with masculinity. Yeah. I mean, I, I think ultimately it comes down to what we were talking about earlier. It's that ego, it's that ego thing, right? Because if everybody's telling you, yes, 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 you're wonderful, then your ego is not at, uh, at any risk. Right. But if you're telling me, Hey, that looks like shit, or you need to fix this, or you need to shore up that, or here you're weak in this area, then all of a sudden my ego is impacted. And so we seem to care a lot of the times more about our, our ego than we do the success that ultimately we're after. 
So really a big part of what we need to do is find ways to eliminate that ego, to get rid of the ego, to silence the ego and, and to ask ourselves objectively, is there truth in what this individual is saying? Now I, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt when they criticize what it is I'm doing and, and say, maybe they just suck at delivery. But objectively, I ask myself, is there truth to what this individual is saying? Because my ultimate objective is to improve, whether it's through this podcast or physical fitness or in my relationship, I want to improve, which means I need to see the blind spots. I need to let go of the ego so I can shore those areas up and actually improve in my life. But that's a big threat. That ego and that, that, that confidence and the arrogance that we, we strive for is a big threat to our own well-being and our own growth. They did. Uh, I remember years ago, I asked, um, I remember like when I got out, I mean, we used to do, I used to do more nutrition stuff and I don't really do it anymore just cause, uh, I just don't have the time. So we got some really talented coaches to do it. But one of the people I was working with was like, you know, um, I like I've been eating. I feel pretty good. I look pretty good in the mirror. I don't know why. Like it was just kind of an interesting observation. I was like, well, did you t take a picture? Like have somebody take a picture. Does the picture of what you see look different than the picture in the mirror? And they took a picture and they're like, man, I look way worse than the picture in the mirror. Why is that? And so I did a little deep diving and there's some emotional, I want to say within our ego, within our id, somewhere deep down where when we see a reflection of ourselves, we can either stand, move, do whatever, and like position ourselves in the most advantageous light to the point where actually what we see in the mirror is not an accurate representation of who we are. And mm. the picture becomes that snapshot. So it's um, like, I, and dude, I, I can't find, like, I would have to go and dig. It take me fucking two weeks to find the research on that one this is years ago but i always remember thinking like uh the way that we're set up is to protect ourselves and everything about it from like here here it's always this idea of this fragile protection and a lot of people don't strip it away and sometimes that picture becomes a snapshot i mean i know this shit's happened to me where i'm like oh, i feel pretty good and i see a picture i'm like fuck i gotta get my fucking shit together or i gotta like it you know like i just like it's just kind of an interesting observation that um a lot of what we do is about protecting. And unfortunately, if you're always in this kind of defensive protection mode and trying to, you know, minimize or, or, you know, reduce risk or these, like you never really grow. And uh, the only way you get out is to actually put yourself out there. And that's like the process I talk about with like, like be a beginner, man. Like don't fear like being a white belt, like go out, put yourself out there, suck at something and fucking enjoy sucking at something. And the journey that it takes to go from sucking to not suck. And, uh, like, that's the only way we're able to kind of monitor and show growth. And it's, uh, it's kind yeah. of an interesting piece when like the exact thing we fear is the thing that we need. I think that's a, I think it's valuable. I think that's the reason we test ourselves or ought to test ourselves is because now we can bullshit ourselves. Like we're really good at that, right? Put yourself in just the right lighting and get that picture just right and tell yourself how great you are and how wonderful you are and how all the, all the good things you're doing and all of your intentions that you have. Uh, but then when you put yourself in objective situations, you talk about being a white belt, you know, jujitsu is something that I'm relatively new in. When, when I put myself against somebody else who, who's more advanced, that strips away all the bullshit. Like I can't, I can't lie about how proficient I am in jujitsu when I'm against somebody who's been doing it for 20 years. That's what men need. It's the same thing in the gym. You can't bullshit yourself when you're standing under 400 pounds of, of, of weight right? Like you either have the strength or you don't. It's a, it's the great equalizer. And that's why we need to put ourselves in that situations because we need to test is what I believe about myself really true or am I inadequate? And, and too many people don't, which is why they can't handle the thought that maybe they are inadequate. 
But if we put ourselves in more difficult situations and, and realize that it's okay to be temporarily inadequate because that's how you improve. It doesn't have to be perpetual. Uh, this is why people crumble at the slightest sign of adversity because they've never dealt with any. And so something comes up and they see it as a threat. Oh, people don't like me. Oh, I, they're, I'm, I'm offended because they, they hate me or they're, I'm the victim of this situation. No, you're just weak. You just haven't done anything to improve yourself. Nobody's picking on you. You've just seen it for the first time. You've seen the real you for the first time without you bullshitting yourself through life as you have for the potentially 10, 20, 30, 40 years. So how do we unpack that? Like, um, that's an interesting thought. Like if, if we know this to be the case and we know that like the path to enlightenment improvement is, is a perilous and difficult one. I mean, how do you put somebody on that path? And that's something that we've wrestled with for years. I mean, we do it through, uh, through not only programs, but information podcasts and try to use all these different information resources to influence people in such a way that's a positive one. And unfortunately, like, I don't know how to influence people in a positive way without making it kind of sting a little bit. Like, I, I think but, it has to. Like, there's no easy way to do it. It should sting. And I think that sting is a weeding out process. Because if it stings to the point where you quit, you're just not ready yet. And that, that's okay, but you're not ready yet. I can't invest time in you right now. Because you're not, you're not ready for it. And when it stings and you're able to face it, then I know that's a barrier to entry. I know to some degree that this is an individual worth investing in. It should sting. It should be, it should be painful. I had a coach when I started getting back in shape and he would say, he'd say, my job is to get you to the point of just hating me enough that you don't quit on me. And that was his whole objective. He wanted me to get to the point where I hated him because what of what I was going through, but not so much that I would quit. And when he gets me to that point, and when we get our clients or the people we care about to that point, that's where they learn. That's where they grow. And we know they're capable of doing it because they're, they're driving through that pain and that sting and that hurt. You know, another guy reached out to me the other day and he said, Hey man, I, I, and I don't know who this guy is, but we were on Instagram and he said, Hey, I lost my cool with my wife the other day. And, and I'm, I've been feeling bad about it said, okay, well, time to reflect and figure out what you need to do to fix it. And he's like, I have been reflecting and it hurts. I'm like, good. Supposed to hurt. Because if it didn't hurt, what would you learn from it? It's like, yeah, that's true. I'm like, so just embrace, like you said, embrace the fact that it hurts and fix yourself, yourself moving forward. Don't do that. Find a different way to do it moving forward. Do you, any, do you have any challenges or like milestones or anything that you would kind of attribute to individuals like... Like if there was truly, and maybe there is, and I don't know it, but like when I heard order a man, I almost thought like, uh, I remember years ago, uh, one of my dad's buddies, um, received the, uh, he was an order or like a, a night of, a night of Malta, which is fucking mm. weird. It was like, um, like you're given this big thing and a sword and you become like a defender of the Catholic church. Now mind you, this guy paid a lot of money for this. So they had to go and it was like this huge ceremony. And my dad used to smart ass him about it all the time. He's like, do you all the other nights sit around a round table? And it was just kind of a joke, but I kind of was, as I was hearing order a man, I wonder if there's like a series of, of tasks or things that you kind of attribute to gain within, you know, within the round table. It's, it's a really interesting thought and one that four years ago when I started doing this that I thought this would be very, very valuable and something we need to do. Um, 
but haven't been able to implement it. But we are releasing in two weeks. We have a, it's called the Iron Council. So it's a, it's a brotherhood. There's over 500 guys in the Iron Council and we're all working together on different achievements and things like this. Uh, but we have achievements that guys can now unlock and levels that they can continue to increase. Because I think guys generally want to see improvement and there's a physical representation manifestation of that. It's the same reason we have belts for a brown or a black belt. It's to signify that they have credibility and authority and to peacock. That's what it is. Like to show I've earned this. I'm proud of this. And so that's why we do it. Uh, so it's the same system that we're incorporating into this Iron Council because your point about whether you want to call it gamification or just human psychology, the fact that we need to see progress, we need to see growth, and we need to see ourselves achieving the next level. It's the same reason why people track their PRs. If you weren't worried about improving yourself, why would you even write down your, your last PR and try to break it this time? Or it's mount, uh, or, or put animals heads on your wall. You know, it's the like, same, same I, thing, uh, same thing. You're proud of it, right? Mm -hmm. You've accomplished something. You did something that was meaningful and significant to you. People have a hard time because they hear trophy hunting. It's like, we all have trophies. We all have things that, that are important to us, whether it's your, your library of books and you want to show those off, you know, there's books in there. I'll probably never read again. And I still have them on my library. The heads here of animals that I've shot and killed and harvested and put food on my table. Cause I'm proud of that. And I want that to be a remembrance of what I've accomplished. We all have trophies. Yeah. No, it's, uh, um, I keep thinking of, uh, my neighbors, a guy named Joe Capucho or my former neighbor, uh, his brother-in-law, um, is, uh, like, I think he's the third largest private landowner in California. Owns about 18,000 acres has a huge ranch up in central California. And we'd always go up there and hunt invasive species and actually shot my first elk up there at his place. But, uh, he travels the world and hunts, um, like, like the shit out of like you read out of books type of deal. And he mm. has uh, a, a house, like a huge trophy room, which is like a guest house with all of his trophies. And uh, it's like kind of one of those things where you walk in and you're like, man, I don't know how I feel about this. Like these are like, those are elephant tusks. And he's like, oh yeah, no, I shot a big bull. And like, you know, like every, uh, like hundred all over Africa and just some really amazing um, trophies and like things on the wall, like for animals I've, I've only seen in pictures. And um it's been a passion for him to like, and he had a bucket list of all the different animals that he wanted to go hunt. And he's like, you know, while the people see the trophy, they don't realize like not only the process, like for me, it's just the representation, a way to remember the process of like what it took to, to get this. And he's like, none of them were handed out. Like, it's not like we weren't driving around in Jeeps, just shooting things. Like it like we didn't hunt in game preserves. Like everything was, had a pretty amazing story associated with it. And, uh, it was, super cool. I mean, for things that'll never be able to be hunted and imported into this country anymore. So definitely a pretty epic deal, but yeah, I just, it was cool to sit there and, you know, for a couple hours really, and have him tell us every single story and like feeling like, what was that? Five, five minutes went by. No, that was three hours. And I'm like, I could tomorrow. Can we talk you know, uh, can I hear more about these? And he was like, are you interested? I'm like, yeah, man, I, I always revel in my friend's successes. I love hearing people that I respect and I like. I love to hear their, their victories and their stories where I think other people cringe and don't want to hear it because it just gives them their own shortcomings. For me, man, I, I love to hear the success of people. I love to hear, like, like tell me the hero's tale. I want to, you know, I want to read the Beowulf. I want to read these stories of, like, the heroic epics. And unfortunately, a lot of people haven't done enough heroic shit for me to want to hear their story. Well, I think you feel like that because there's congruency between the way that you want to show up, the way you, I should say it this way, the way you envision yourself and the action that you're taking to make sure that those are in alignment. 
So I have this thing, I call it the integrity gap. It's, it's the gap, the distance between who you see yourself as and the actions and behaviors you've incorporated in your life or lack thereof to get you to that point. The wider the gap, the more contentious you are. So if you have a huge integrity gap, you're not going to celebrate victories in other people because you said it highlights your own inadequacies. But if you have a small integrity gap or a non-existent integrity gap, you have the level of confidence that says, I can help this guy succeed. I can celebrate with him because it's not a threat to me. I'm confident with who I am. I know what I'm doing. I know why I'm doing it. I know where I've achieved. And so I can celebrate that success in other people. It's only those who achieved have achieved or are working towards achievement that they can celebrate other people's achievements. Do you think a lot of people lack, um, I guess maybe lack the perception or lack the opportunity or just lack the success of achieving great things? Like, I mean, cause if you think about like, you know, sitting there with a dude who's, you know, hunted the world and you're hearing these stories and like, I, I can only imagine, like, I just wonder if, uh, if that comes from per, per like a perspective or from, you know, like this is my first hunting trip or I've never really done anything. And like, there's a longing, you know, I mean, I, I, like I was, um, uh, Brandon Lilly actually sent me, um, uh, that, uh, the dude for the meat eater guys book on Buffalo. Oh which yeah. Is pretty cool. Cause man, I, I like for some reason, dude, I've been kind of, kind of obsessed with Buffalo. Like we went out to Epic farms, has um, Rome ranch and we got to see Buffalo up close and actually seeing Buffalo up front, like that close, uh, like the coolest looking animals I've ever seen. They oh, look they're like, amazing. Like if you were going to design something that um, like was just based on like destruction, it would probably look like a buffalo. Like did one you guys that, see that video of that girl that got taken out just the oh, other day yeah. last yep. week? Yep. The be the hammer. Well, the crazy part is if you read the story, the their parents and all these tourists were out petting the buffalo. The wild buffalo in Yellowstone were out there petting them, not realizing these aren't pets. Like this, this just goes to show people's like what they don't know about buffalo. <laughs> buffalo, uh, like they slaughtered well, probably nature in general. Well, they slaughtered buffalo, so there was a huge deal. Like obviously, we slaughtered them to you know get rid of the red man and the whole deal. And I think there was only a few, but they tried to bring them back and they kept killing them because they were so angry and hard to deal with that they would just like get like a hundred of them and then be like, oh, we got to kill half of them. They run through fences. They destroy things. They are just like uh, pretty aggressive. Like they have a deal where like if a buffalo gets injured and injured and limps and shows weakness, the other buffalo will go over and kill it because they don't want to have that in their, in, mm. in their, in their group. Um, they also have another cool thing, which I read is uh, as they inhale air like cold air their esophagus actually warms the air before it gets into their body so they're able to keep a higher ambient air temperature and they've uh, and as it got colder they get more relaxed so they've never been able to figure out like what the exact temperature because they found it for like cattle that like anything like there's a certain temperature for cattle and they went through all these different animals that uh at a certain temperature all of a sudden their heart rates go up to try to stay warm the buffalo they can't find it because they've never been able to get them cold enough so they were like just going through all these like physiological things of these buffalo, the thick skin and how they all, it's just, they're pretty epic animals. But long story yeah. short, we went out to Rome Ranch and we got to see him. And uh, like reading the story of that dude, like hunting the buffalo and that. And I was like, man, that's like such a, uh, a neat story to think that like, you know, this is out there and like, it's just something to go out and do and, you know, educate and that. So no, pretty neat. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds awesome. I, you know, I, to your point earlier, I think, our, our goals and ambitions, they don't have to be aligned for us to appreciate it. Right. I, I, I happen to hunt. If I wasn't a hunter, I could still appreciate that level of success because I know what goes into that. 
Um, I, I know that that individual is excited about that. So yeah, I don't think our, our goals need to be aligned for them, for us to appreciate those things. It just has to mean that, that we are achieving by our own metric or measurement of achievement, whatever it is we're after, where we can appreciate what other people are after. I disagree, man. I think uh, people that don't hunt don't necessarily uh, have much like perspective of pe- of people that do. Because um, well, yes, it, like I've shown like hunting might that might be yeah. right, and I'm not talking about hunting as much as generally I'm saying I can appreciate what other people are doing there. You're absolutely uh, dude, right in uh, that hunting gets a bad rap and oh, people don't understand. Dude. I, but I, I don't think that's universally true. Uh, right? Do you well, hunt? I, no. Do you like hearing hunting stories? Yeah. But you would I've hunt. proven my point. You would hunt. Uh, yeah. Just, people who are anti hunt, I guess, but it's not the fact well, that they haven't. Tex, just, I know folks don't have the opportunity to. Yeah. Well, Tex hasn't had the opportunity, but I have no doubt that he would. Well, that w- I did go with Bert. Brett Soren and John Wellborn one time. What happened? Well, <laughs> Tell we the were story. hanging out in South Carolina. It was a beautiful night, clear, clear uh-huh. night in South Carolina. Very the clear. setting behind us. High so visibility. Very high visibility. Very and important. And then all of a sudden, just as the sun is about to, to go down and leave us with no light to hunt, there's these family of hogs that appeared out of nowhere in this wide open field. And 50 yards up, away. <laughs> no. uh, probably, probably more like 200. Yeah, it was Text. a little over 200. Well, don't let the truth get in the way of the story. Okay. Anyway, so line it up, and it was three of us in the stand. Bert makes his way down towards the ground and lines up for backup. And since John is the guest, he's going to allow John to take the the shot. And he did give me a hand, a really nice 300 Ultra Mag, too, which is a nice rifle. And so John lines it up, takes his shot, and the bullet hits the ground. Misses the pig, and the Ah. whole family just... Floods uh, away. Yeah. Bert tried to catch one, first, but unfortunately first all, missed. First of all, I hit something. That <laughs> round. Uh, I, I either I either I know what the sound of a bullet hitting a pig sounds like because we've killed pigs here before. I could have sworn I hit this thing. I very well could have hit the ground so much so that I quick, uh, like you know, it was obviously a lever, uh, not a lever action, but a bolt action. Bolt I action. fucking jammed the fucking bolt back and tried to get another one in to try to get another pig. I was that confident that I'd knocked that pig down. And when we went out there, I was like, "Bert's like, where's the pig?" I'm like, "Ah, uh, I shot that thing right here, and it was nowhere to be found. We searched all over, no blood trails. I like super embarrassed." It's frustrating. Uh, Occam's it's frustrating. Razor. Uh, yeah, it was super embarrassing. But at the end of the day, and then Bert's like, you know, that rifle's never missed. And I'm so like, as you talk about, God you know, the ability, <laughs> Ryan, as you talk about the ability to kind of bask and appreciate another man's achievements, what is it about just really revisiting another man's failures? You know, like where they really fall short. That is just so fulfilling for other folks. Uh, I fucking well, you know what it is. I think that uh, periodically you have to remind. Take you down a notch oh, or two, right? You gotta. No, I'm with you. That's part of the deal, man. Like <laughs> there has to like like for every time you fucking revel in your success, somebody has to be there to remind you of your failure, because uh, uh, like that's just. Ah, like uh, the, you know, in, uh, in, in pro football, they never really can say good job on anything. It's always like, they expect you to win every play. And they, and so like the sad part is, is my entire, when I recollect on my entire career, it's just a series of fuck ups. Like all I remember is the bad plays. And like, I remember somebody was like, Oh, it's so awful. I'm like, 
dude, I was expected to win every time. So when that's the expectation, like, why do you think I would remember something that was different than what, like, I only remember the things that are different. If we, if like everything is the same in your life and this, like you only remember the changes. Like uh, if I always wear black shirts, you're only gonna remember the day that we went in and there was a white shirt. So like sure. I expected to win every time and I, and I did many times. So like the only times I really remember are the failures and uh, it's kind of a depressing deal, but it's also fucking how you live. And, uh, I think like if somebody just sat around and talked about all your successes, but none of your failures, like, fuck, I don't, fuck, I, think, I, like, I don't need you in my cheering section. There's like, a, there's also like a time, like uh, a shelf life on that, you know, as time goes on, that failure should be more and more funny. You know what I mean? Like, uh, or, I agree with that. You know, well, like, there's two, I think there's layers to this. So you have on one end, people that are going to ce- celebrate your failures because it, it shows how weak they are. Right. So that that's one end of the spectrum. Then on the other hand, this other end of the spectrum, you have friends, people who are you have you have given them permission in a way to give you to bust your balls about it. Right. And it's okay because it's funny. It's it's certainly a level of accountability. Right. Because when Bert says, hey, that gun's never missed, he may have been (laughs) joking about it, but also it's a level of accountability saying you better damn well make that shot next time. Uh, No, I I think he sold that gun because it had never missed. And he (laughs) felt like I gave it bad juju because I asked him, I was like, hey, uh," he's like, no, I sold I sold that gun. It was to a dumpster fire. Yeah. He's like, I just basically (laughs) wanted nobody. Yeah. I just dismantled it. And I was like, oh, that's funny. Uh, You know what, though? But uh, I fucking missed. And you know what? Like, I should be held to a higher fucking accountability and like, uh, you know, like, fuck, um, shit. I, uh, but I'll tell you this, like, uh, I mean, shit, the first day we showed up in Texas, Luke and I, like, I remember we drove in that night, uh, like we get up the next morning, like fucking boxes everywhere. We somehow unpack the coffee maker. We're like making coffee sitting at the table. Yes. And all of a sudden Luke's like, there's pigs out there. I'm like, where? We fucking look and sure enough, cause like nobody had been on the property for like two years. So it was oh, pretty really? wild. And these That's fucking cool. pigs just show up to fucking eat. And I was like, holy fuck. So we run out, the trucks are totally packed. The only gun I had access to is this BLR level lever action 308 stainless steel takedown I have, which I had like in the fucking case in the front seat. We pull it out and fucking line it up and knock that pig down, which was pretty nice. I was stoked on that. Yeah. Offhand 80 yards, 90 yards. I was pretty impressed. Yeah. That was a good, good shot. shot. Yeah. I, um, awesome. So I, I've, yeah. A little high. Yeah, I think I, I think I got him in the fight. I think I broke her spine. But uh, yeah, at the end of the day, we didn't fucking thank God we got the first shot on the fucking ranch. Yeah, first Not, blood, baby. First blood. Oh yeah, but uh, you know what though? Like, I mean, for think about why we lift weights. I mean, fuck. Like, if if uh, if you never miss on anything or everything, like that video you sent us the other day. I mean, you know, I know you were a little nervous because TC Buried and it. the fucking intern were TC and the boys. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I like so Luke sends us his video. It was what like four fifty, four fifty five, four seventy five. Was it 475? Yeah. So he shows us this, and uh, my first comment is, ah, it looks a little high. Could be the angle, but uh, I don't know why he didn't stop so short. Uh, it was it was pretty low. It felt pretty low. <laughs> the problem is you got the congratulator crew over there cheering for you. Yeah, Ryan, to paint a picture, uh, just felt like going for a heavy single. Like, it's just not un- totally unplanned, and uh, John and Tex were out of town, and those are those guys are typically there, and I was with a crew of folks who are just – you know, one kid, 17, just started lifting weights six, eight, seven weeks ago. Other ones, uh, our intern who has like a herniated disc. And then the other is my buddy, Harry, who's like, 
really nice. Uh, but like, you know, I've got damn near 500 pounds on my back. I'm like, okay, both these guys are side spotting. I can trust them to at least pull 60 pounds each. So that drops me down 120 pounds. Like I should, no worst case scenario, I should be able to handle this. But like, there is that little piece in there and like I'm going down and sure enough, the first attempt on it, it gets a little slow, a little grindy because it's fucking heavy. I haven't done singles in a while. And just as it slows down, they jump in and like panic. <laughs> they panic and jump in and stand me up way too soon. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck. Okay, well, number one, we didn't film it. Number two, I should count it because I knew I was going to get it. But third, thirdly, no. that's never going to fucking uh, fly with this crew. Yeah, that's <laughs> no. right. As it shouldn't. No. And I'm like, well, fuck, I got to go again. So I fucking hit it. And it was, I guess uh, it was, it was fast. It was yeah. fast. I, I think what you needed, though, is a little pump-up music. I mean, where you listen to, like, Whitney Houston. Uh, what was I? <laughs> no, no, it, it was, it, like, 80s training montage. Yeah, it was, like... <laughs> There's wrong with that. I think it was Footloose. I think it was Footloose Latir for the boy. In the yeah. background, I'm like, God, is that Footloose? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, That's the sad part about working out with some of these guys in the gym. <laughs> like, John and I are probably the only ones who would be happy with a little bit of Pantera and Slayer and something that you want to rip a head off. Most of these dudes who train with us are very gentle, kind uh, individuals. Like, uh, if tech's going on, I guarantee... R- r- Meatloaf. Meatloaf, the Adele. darkness. I just need a very high-pitched uh, voice that I can get what behind. What was that crap you played one day, that thing Pasadena? Fucking Pasadena, uh, Joey Harkham, uh, Maryland baseball. All, all I know is he put on this music, Pasadena, and I instantly felt my test levels fall by over 300 points. It's, it's really the only time <laughs> I've ever heard he that. quit versus overcoming and oh, using that. Uh, you know, there's, um, you know, what I, I like to say, I mean, there's a reason that they just played fucking Welcome to the Jungle over and over again to get Noriega out of his house. I think that if I, he would have swallowed his tongue if he had to listen to Pasadena. <laughs> what I, say you, McQuilkin? I disagree. <laughs> it's amazing music. YouTube it. Or, or Spotify, whatever, whatever your uh, no, choice is. It's fucking no. great. Joey Harkin, singer-songwriter, excuse me. Uh, well, I guess what's important... Uh, yeah, why, why are you putting that man down, ...to John? music here, McQuilkin, is time, place, and manner. And when you're in the weight room, and you're blasting buys, and you're blasting your chest, maybe a guy doesn't want to listen to that type of stuff. You know? A real man. <laughs> the order of men. <laughs> men that don't tuck it back when they lift weights. Because that's what happens when you, when, when you listen to that type of music. Mm-hmm. I disagree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> contrarian over here. You're, not you're entitled you. to your opinion. <sighs> for this one second. If, uh, if, if there was a, a band uh, that you would say, like, um, signified and really, like, identified the order of man, what band would you put it at? You, you're people ask me this all the time. You are you are asking the wrong guy. I I don't listen to music. I don't listen to music. You guys are talking about music. I'm like, yeah, whatever, because I, I just don't listen to a whole lot of music. All even, right, so even, then, even if I'm in the gym, easy. We'll just recalibrate. Um, if there was a action movie or movie series <laughs> yeah, to represent in. the order of man, what would it be? You have to watch action flicks. Yeah, um, I would say. Braveheart would probably be right up there. Probably Braveheart. Let's go with that. But instead of uh, Mel Gibson, The Rock would play William Wallace? Sounds about accurate. Yeah, uh, that's the what, next Braveheart. Well, Braveheart 2. You know, I actually <laughs> heard they're going to remake Braveheart with The Rock. I'm told I, they're remaking all I'm actually action surprised series. they're not making it with a woman, because that seems more societally uh, mm-hmm. correct if they were to do that. Well, I just think they should remake all the old movies with The Rock in there, kind of like uh, Jack Burton from you know Big Trouble Little China. I'm thinking William Wallace, uh, Revenge of the Nerds. I'd love to see him as uh, Ogre. 
or maybe like, you know, Wormser or like mm-hmm. one of the other guys. So I just like, I just think that they should take old movies and somehow get the rock just into them and see how it goes. There. Just cast them in there. Yeah. Just to see how it plays out. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a series that would be just absurd. Uh, the rock is uh, John Rambo. Like in, um, uh, first blood. Recat like all the Tommy Lee Jones movies where he's like a marshal. Put oh, the rock uh, as Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, I don't Fugitive. know. The, the yeah. few, those, those are great movies. Those, Oh, Why remake okay. that? Dude, my favorite was when he's like, I didn't kill my wife. And he's like, I, I don't, don't care. That, that line yeah, is an ad lib by line. Tommy Lee Jones. No, I mean, it's just no. the mm-hmm. basic, the, the separation of, uh, of being able to do your job and the emotional appeal. And it's like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. You're escaped. I'm going to get you. It's perfect. Right. Love it. He's doing what he needs to do. Yeah. So Braveheart's the answer. So then what's the band version of Braveheart? That, that's on you For guys. Us. You guys are yeah. going to have to let me know what it is, and then I can listen to it. That's a hard question. Molly I have Crew. no clue. Molly Crew, girls, girls, girls? <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue. Ah, it's all, uh, every time I walk in the gym, it's all I really want to hear. Yeah, so Ryan, I'm, I'm like you. I'm not, I guess I wouldn't consider myself a music fan, but I do like noise. You know what I mean? Like, and if I'm, especially training, I like just loud, fast obnoxious music and I, th- I feel better that way dude aren't I you should probably big... try that because most of the time I'm listening to a podcast <sighs> most of the time that's what I'm doing yeah well, I would... also Luke was a juggalo in high school uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I don't want to say I wasn't I did listen to insane clown posse uh, and no insane clown posse great, songs the great Malenko <laughs> yeah uh, dude, <laughs> the great Malenko. Oh yeah, oh, dude. <laughs> Fuck the ICP. But then, I, so that was before I knew like the whole underworld of them. And then when I learned about that shit, I'm like, holy fuck! Yeah, what that, did I get myself that, into? That, I just thought it was funny fucking music. That, that, yeah, I, I, I didn't know it either. I had a buddy from Detroit, Doug Brzezinski, and he like uh, somehow I ended up with one of his CDs, and I was listening. And then I went and I bought more of the ICP. I was like this, and then I realized that there was this whole like underground gang slash criminal undermine network yeah. called the. Yeah. I was like, uh, I just thought these guys had awful rap music. So, Ryan, you know who Insane Cloud Posse is? <laughs> I do. Yeah, nice. I do. But that was like in the good old days where like the only access to some of this like weird shit was through Howard Stern. Remember? Uh, or he you, was like the dude who would pull all this shit out of the uh, CD underworld and you got fucking and Howard Stern was the guy who would broadcast all that. Uh, pretty accurate. And then uh, when I lived in Philly down on South Street, they had um, like a Tower Records that had all this really fucking obscure music. Similar to when I lived in Berkeley, they had like Amoeba Records and some of these like super fucking like just very eclectic music places where you could get all this weird vinyl and all this stuff. So yeah, that's, uh, but yeah, Doug Brzezinski turned me on to ICP and I remember listening to it and then he's like, Hey, do you want to, uh, ICP's coming to Philly. I'm like, ah, no, I'm not Text. going to see those guys. ICP singers, songwriters. Sure. I never <laughs> also their juggalo makeup, <laughs> uh, destroys the AI face recognition. So, Oh yeah, that's right. Isn't yeah, it? Yeah. They They knew that. They knew that back then. Oh, they're well ahead of their time. Yeah, they were ahead of their time. (laughs) (laughs) You think that those guys are like actually intended any of this stuff? Or they're like, we just thought we were like the one fat dude. So it's like, I just thought I was fat and looked good as a weird clown. (laughs) It seems more like that would be the answer than some (laughs) master plan. Yeah, some like master criminal conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Story checks out on that one. So this is, I'm going to wind it back a little bit here, Ryan. You, you were talking a little bit of, you know, as you were going into the BJJ endeavor that you're getting into, you're coming in, you're getting tested, you're getting checked, and you're seeing these blind spots. So as we go into, like, these primary pillars of uh, protect, provide, preside. Preside, uh-huh. 
are there is there a testing matrix is that part of that achievement yeah uh, workflow yeah. that uh, that they're kind of they're i guess categorized under those three primary pillars yeah. So if you look at it, I've tried to think about this a lot because structures are, are and frameworks have always been valuable for me. So if you have, you know, man at the top of the pillar, right. And then you have, okay, well, what is his responsibility? Protector, provider, presider. How does he fulfill those responsibilities? Well, we show up and we operate in four different quadrants or domains. So you have calibration. So first with calibration is getting right with yourself. It's, it's, it's your emotions. It's your spirituality. It's making sure that you know who you are, that you have a firm understanding, that you're, that you're calibrated, oriented in the right way. Uh, the next is your connections. So the relationships you have with your spouse, with your children, with, with friends, with a band of brothers, with colleagues and coworkers. Uh, the next component is condition. So physical health, strength, stamina, conditioning, sleep, nutrition, et cetera. And then the fourth is contribution, which is becoming a man of value. What, what do you, what skills do you need to acquire in your life in order to be more valuable in the areas you show up? Maybe that's it at your career. Great. You need a new designation or a credential secure that. Or, uh, if it's coaching or as a father, what can you do to create more value in your environments? And then of course it goes branches out from there and that's where those achievements and, and things will, will fall into the line, but it's within those quadrants that we, that we really deal with. So then who's, who are the, how do I want to phrase this question? Like, what's the psychographic of the dude that's showing up totally oblivious to any of this shit? And like, what is his journey? And what are the milestones of realization and appreciation? And then like the ultimate outcome, right? So they, I, I don't know if anybody shows up who's oblivious because they wouldn't find me if they were mm -hmm. right. If they're oblivious and satisfied with what, like anybody who's oblivious to physical health, isn't going to find you guys. Mm -hmm. Right. They, they actively have to be searching for it, which is actually a great barrier to entry. That's why the podcast for us has been so valuable. It's, it's men who are actively searching for some information about improving their lives. So that's, that's the first thing. It's the first barrier to entry. Are they interested? Yes. Cause they're listening. Right. And then from there, it's teaching them these, these frameworks and how to be more successful. Uh, we take them through a, uh, what we call a 12 week battle plan. So the first step, the first component of that is vision. So what do you want to accomplish in your life? How do you want to show up? How do you want to be remembered when people are thinking about your legacy and what you left behind? What do they remember about you? Uh, when, when you think about a healthy relationship with your wife, what does that actually look like? When you think about how you're physically strong and, and fit, what do you look like? How do you feel? What kind of rest are you getting? What's your energy levels like? It's all about thinking about who you want to be, visualizing who you want to be. Then we start working backwards from there. So we have objectives in each of the four quadrants that I just told you about. So we have this 30,000 foot view of who we want to be. Now let's create objectives. What do you need to accomplish in the next 90 days in each one of those four quadrants? And we keep working our way backwards from there. So if you have your objective, now what's your tactic? What's the thing that you can do on a daily basis, day in and day out, that will inevitably yield that objective that will lead you to the vision that you're after. And then the last component of that is checkpoints along the way. So 30 and 60 day checkpoints is what you're doing. The tactics you're engaged in, are they moving you towards your objective and your vision? If they are good, we're going to keep that path. If they're not, we got to come back and we got to figure out where we need to adjust to get you back on path. 
So that 12 week battle plan is something I've developed over 10 plus years when I got into the financial planning practice to improve my, improve my practice. And then I've just expanded it from there to cover more areas than financial planning, like fitness, for example. So what's the most difficult one for, for guys to wrap a hold of? I mean, calibration. So calibration, like making- it's always calibration. Cause look, if you look at, I mean, everybody knows generally what to do to get physically strong. Everybody knows uh, how to improve their I got to disagree with you on that one, man. Well, your, expecta- your you don't, definition. You don't think everybody knows what it takes generally to get, to get strong? Not your level, not uh, our appreciation of strong. So in our mind, it's like uh, double body weight, but, but we have our kind of matrix. Yeah, but like, um, they, I mean, uh, like having. Let's to, rephrase the question. Maybe our statement is to improve your level of strength uh, rather okay. than get strong. Is that is that fair, yeah. Ryan? Or yeah, I think that's fair. I, I I don't think we're that far away, John, on this, anyways, um, because I think there's a lot of nuances, and I think there's a lot of inefficient and more efficient ways to do things True. that we can certainly improve on. So I'm not sure. diminishing that at yeah. all. No, I, I get you on that. Like, I always think like if, uh, like when it comes to strength, I'm like, do people really want to be strong or do they just mm-hmm. want to give the appearance and of know, strength or are they confusing what strength is? Cause I mean, we had people show up to the CrossFit gym with the idea of getting strong. And when they got stronger, they were like, well, this isn't what I wanted. And I'm like, well, like, so I think misaligned expectations of strength. It may be strength isn't the right word as much as I, maybe I should have used the word healthy to oh, some level, okay. right? Yeah. How, to, how to get healthier, maybe would be a more appropriate. I always think it. about um, being more capable, like, uh, Oh, hundred percent. Like, like what's the point of aesthetically looking good if you can't do shit, well, right? Uh, pick up chicks well, really the, fast. The, uh, the other one, but you lose them just as fast, but then you get to keep doing it. Well, the you other one I mean? that, <laughs> no, that kidding, we Ryan. observed, I mean, I, I saw this in the NFL. I'd, I'd seen it with, with, with powerlifting and all these other different things where guys were uber strong within a certain plane of motion. Uh, they go in there and they're, you know, fucking repping 600 pounds on the bench press but yet walk outside and get absolutely fucking demolished on the football field or, you know, guys in there, you know, squatting the world doing this. And yet he can't fucking pick up a couch and carry it up a stairs because he's in such poor physical shape. So I remember thinking like if, uh, if strength isn't like coupled up, I mean, attached or really translatable. Yeah. Or, or really just like coupled to, to, uh, um, becoming capable. Like is the strength that I'm developing allowing me to be more capable in a, in, in a useful way, then the strength is fucking wasted. Right. So it's inefficient. I mean, I think about this, not only in the context of what you're talking about, but intellectually as well, you know, you have these information zombies who consume every podcast available, read every book that ever came out and yet they implement nothing. It's like, I read a thousand books last year. Who gives a shit? What are you doing with it? Like, how are you better this year than you were last year? Oh, I'm not. I'm still in the developmental process mm-hmm. or the information gathering process. So it's not serving you. But to your question earlier, it's always calibration. It's always getting right with themselves. It's always taking care of themselves and figuring out how to, how to engage in meaningful pursuits and hobbies that are going to edify and uplift them. There, a lot of these times, these guys are so focused on the external because they're, they're in a world of hurt. You know, they're, they're struggling in their relationship. This is, this is why people might find me. Men might find me. They're struggling in their relationship. So they're figure, trying to figure out how to get their, their marriage back in check. Uh, their, their health and their, their fitness is out of whack. Their career aspirations are going nowhere. Uh, they may have just filed for uh, bankruptcy or have some other financial disaster they're dealing with. 
So they have all these external circumstances and they've got tunnel vision, which we get, right? If we're dealing with an issue, it's like, I've got to focus all my time, attention and energy and resources on this thing. Cause this is the immediate threat. I got to get out of financial hardship. I got to fix this relationship. And it's, that's good. That's wonderful. But I'm, I'm really encouraging these guys to step back and stop looking at the externals and, and turn it around. And I think you guys actually alluded to it when we first started talking is fix yourself. Fix yourself first. Worry about yourself because you can't fix anything external if you're broken, if you're messed up, if you don't know where you're at. So that's why calibration is so difficult for these guys, but so critical. Well, uh, well what are some uh, questions or tasks that you give people to force this self-reflection? What, what do you want out of life? What is your vision? What, what, what needs to improve in your life? Then the secondary question to that is, what do you need to improve about yourself in order for that to begin to rectify and, and fix itself? Those are great starter questions. When you're, when you're the happiest, what is it that you're doing? And why does that, why do you enjoy that so much? What are you doing when time goes the fastest? What do you find meaning in? If, if money wasn't an issue for you, how would you be spending your days and your time? These are all great questions to start you thinking about a future version of yourself. That's what guys need to do. We're so trapped in the rat race. You know, we get up in the morning with just enough time to maybe eat, to shower, to shave. We get out, we we go do a task at a job that we hate. We, we commute two hours to that job. We've got a stack of paperwork when we get to the office, somebody else's paperwork, not ours. Somebody, somebody else is telling us to do. Then we get home and our kids are bouncing off the wall and we're trying to get them settled in and, and our wife's doing her things. And we're going to watch three hours of TV and then we're going to go to bed and do the same thing all over again every day. It's like, tell me where in your day you've carved out any time to start thinking about what a future reality might look like for yourself. Just like on airplanes, dude, what's, what do they say? If turbulence happens and the airplane and the oxygen mask come out, what do they tell you to do? Put your mask yeah. on first before you help other Yours people. First. And I, first. I, I just always remember thinking like it's, it's, uh, um, it's super hard to have a healthy relationship if you're unhappy and unhappy as a person, like you can't make anybody happy. Nobody's ever going to make you happy, but like you can not be a fucking asshole, which I find most, most of the times when like marriages fail or at least relationships, it's like, fuck man. Like if you're unhappy as a person, dude, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to hide that shit, dude. And, um, yeah, it sucks. Yeah. It just spills over. It, it spills over into the way that you talk with her, the way you communicate with her, the way you disengage with her, it just spills over because you're not satisfied with who you are. And, and we have these things, you know, we tell ourselves, well, I, I can't take care of myself because I've got three kids to take care of. I can't take care of myself because I've got this busy thing at work going on and I got to get this done. You know, th these things are important. We have responsibilities, but if you can't carve out some time for yourself, it's going to be not very long before you burn yourself out and, and explode. And there's going to be some collateral damage in, in the way when that happens. So Ryan, these dudes find you and they're in one of these, one of these ruts we were talking about. What does the transformation look like? You know, like, you know, to, to, Go back to our analogy of getting strong. You know, when we put our 17-year-old high school kid on a training program, we, we kind of know what to expect at certain milestones, right? Sure. When are the traps and chests going to start popping? When are you going to start to sprint? When are things going to start to connect? What are you going to notice in the mirror? What are you going to notice when you wake up? What are you going to notice how your clothes fit? Like, there's these kind of milestones. And then there's this end point, an outlet 
Is there is there a similar journey that's more general to guys who will find you? And they start to go through this calibration process and they get into the 12-week battle plan and things, you know, stones start to turn over, right? And right. they start to realize these things. It's so different for, excuse me, for everybody. And we try to cater these plans specific. In fact, I shouldn't say we try to cater them. We encourage them to craft their own plan because what these guys want might be different ultimately than what I want. So if we're walking through the vision and the calibration process with these guys, it's really for the first time, potentially starting to explore what exactly they want. I want to be able to ask a guy and say, Hey, what is it that you want out of life? And him be able to ask, answer that question very, very specifically. That's the first step. Cause if we don't know that nothing that we do is really going to matter. And frankly, it probably isn't going to last even if you experience some level of results. So if it's, I want a deeper, more intimate connection with my wife. Great. The process might look like this, that you begin with a date night every single week that you have carved out time every single day for conversations with her, that you're instigating intimacy on a regular basis so that you can be physically and emotionally connected with her. So we're really helping these guys identify a very, very specific plan based on their vision for themselves and then mapping it out over a course of 12 weeks. And we're, we're intentional about 12 weeks too, because if you get much longer than that, it's, it's especially for somebody who's never done any of this before, it, it's hard to see past the next three months. If it's too short, it's hard to see or produce any sort of meaningful or significant results in a period of 30 days. What are you going to do? You guys give me, when you sign up, you get joined with us, give me 90 days. Let's do this for 90 days and we'll evaluate it from there. Now we're checking in periodically from, from that point, but you got to get through a battle plan cycle to see if this is really going to work for you. Is it, I mean, is it, uh, is it life coaching? I mean, in a way, I mean, is it, uh, like people are really like, like people reaching out, like, Hey, here are my problems. And then, you know, you providing the tools to fix these, these issues, or maybe just like, uh, I think I saw something about like the highest rate of suicide is like, uh, men within, you know, a certain, I've got, I can't remember the demographic, but it's like, you know, 22 to, you know, 42 yeah. year old men. That's it's like, it's 20, it's like 25 to 45 years yeah, old. Yeah. Like the highest rate of suicide. Yeah. And they were, you know, like, and it was, I, I think actually it was within one of Jordan Peterson's talks. And he's like, well, why is it that this demographic has the highest rate of suicide? If there's this tyrannical patriarchy, then why are these men that are, are uh, allegedly, you know, at the top of the, uh, you know, the pyramid of this tyrannical peri- or uh, patriarchy, why are they committing suicide in mass numbers? And, uh, like, you know, I, f- I forgot who he was talking to. It was like, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. And it was like, you know, because there's an unfulfilling that, 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 that tyrannical patriarchy doesn't really exist that you guys are vilifying and these guys have isolated and they don't have friends and they don't have people and they're stuck within a rat race and, uh, you know, living to build somebody else's dream and an unfulfilled life. And he went through all the different pieces. And I remember thinking like, fuck, there are a lot of dudes stuck within this. And like, you know, something like what you guys are doing in terms of like coming in and uh, um, being a voice of reason and really just like a a beacon or a buoy for a whole bunch of people that are just floating in the dark. Yeah, I mean, sometimes one of the most powerful things that I or anybody else can say is, what do you think you should do about that? And and just, you know, if a guy comes to me and says, hey, man, I'm really struggling in my marriage, what should I do? I don't know. What should you do? And me just turning that back on somebody gives them an opportunity or permission like they needed it to reflect upon their own situations. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. 
So let these guys reflect on and start thinking about and solving their own problems. But yeah, you're, you're right. John Eldridge. I don't know if you guys are familiar. Yeah. With Wild him. at heart, dude. One, yeah, of my, exactly. one of my favorite books. It's a great book. Life changing for me and uh, actually really set me, me on this path. Yeah. Me, me too. I, I think I read it in like 99, 2000, like when I was a rookie in the NFL. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great, a great book. He's got a lot of good stuff. One of the quotes he has in there that that's really struck with me is deep in his heart. Every man longs for a battle to fight an adventure to live and a beauty to rescue. Yeah. And I, I believe that to be true. And if you look at those three categories, not very men fall into those categories, but the ones who do seem to live uh, a pretty fulfilled, satisfied, meaningful existence. Yeah. I mean, uh, like, like nothing worth having is not, is something that's not worth fighting for. If it's given, mm-hmm. then it's, you know, the respect is not given. No, it was a super impactful book so much. So I told Tex to read it and you I, know what I he, and I, I don't think you got anything out of it. Did you? What? <laughs> Burn ban is off. <laughs> no, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I actually had a, a notebook dedicated to that and yeah, read it on a recent trip and enjoyed the experience. Yeah. It's a good book. Uh, have yeah. you, in, uh, have you implemented anything from that book? Chipping away, sir. Chipping away. You know, there was a, a story that Steve-O uh, from Jackass told. Um, <laughs> have you ever heard this? Uh, Steve-O has a stand-up, con- uh, Steve-O has stand-up yeah. comedy. Have you seen this? So Steve-O's, I don't think I have, no. Oh, Steve-O's got a badass stand-up comedy routine. I think he's coming to San Antonio, not to Austin, which I'm kind of bummed I like to see him. But what he does is he talks about uh, famous people that he did cocaine with. And Steve-O's like, I did a lot of cocaine, and I partied with a lot of people. And he tells a story about I was at a, this big party, and I ended up meeting up with Kid Rock. And he's like, I end up in this ballroom with Kid Rock. And he's like smoking hot chicks, and there's a piano. And he said, like, Kid Rock pulls out a bag, and he dumps, like, this like mound of cocaine on top of the piano. And he's like, it was so much cocaine that he's like, normally people use credit cards or razor blades to kind of cut it up. He's like, Kid Rock was chopping lines with his arm is how big it was. And he's like, kid, that's a lot of cocaine. He's like, don't worry about it. We're just going to chip away at it. And he's like, two o'clock that afternoon, we were still chipping away at it. And it's like, <laughs> the story is fucking hilarious. So when you said it chipping away, I'm like, huh, kind of like Steve-O. But yeah, yeah dude, he, yeah. he, he does like a, there, there's like a, a deal on, I mean, YouTube or something where he like goes through and he tells the story about Lindsay Lohan and all the people he partied with Paris Hilton. And, uh, he has a stand-up comedy and he's like, Hey, um, people are probably gonna be pissed about this, but if we started cocaine together, I'm totally going to fucking out you. <laughs> and it's just, it's really fucking funny. So it's funny. To check yeah, it out just chipping away at it like and, I, and he's like and you've never heard he's like kid, kid rock totally normal dude uh have you ever heard about him having a drug problem and he's and uh the guy and like the guy he was talking to was like no he's like me either fucking blows my mind he's like everybody knows i had a drug problem and fucking kid rock fucking sorted me under the table he was chipping away at it i fucking almost died and he's like that guy he's like cool character and then he just fucking went on to the next one so <laughs> yeah singer songwriter kid rock <laughs> Uh, Bob with the Bob? You ever seen Kid Rock in concert? I fucking bang, no. I, I can bang some weights to some, some I Kid Rock. Fucking, uh, I saw yeah, Kid Rock in his career. No. I, I, saw, I saw Kid Rock in, in concert. It's fucking great. I bet it's incredible. I bet it's incredible. Uh, dude, I, uh, I kind of liked it. Yeah, he came to Philly. I mean, dude, the, the best part about Philly is everybody came to play fucking Philly. Because you get Jersey and that whole fucking like Northeast. And it was, it was cool, man. We got a lot of good bands. So, Ryan, as you, you know, I mean, this has been like a thematic delivery of this, uh, this information for the past five years, have you met, 
have you met it with any pushback? You know, or are there, do you have an alter ego out there that's pushing, you know, the pillars that are totally inverse to what you're talking oh, about? Yeah, there's plenty of people that, that advocate for weakness and pathetic behavior. Um, but let's say like, so what's, what is their, like, what's the value proposition there? And I'm not, like, you don't have to call out names or anything like that, but I'm just curious. Like some of this stuff is what, like no is, fucking dub, but whoa, whoa, what, what, like that he's a chauvinist and like, no, not necessarily like attacks at Ryan, but you know, let's just pretend let's to give an analogy, d- different virtues. We push, we oh, push a, a high animal protein diet, right? Happiness and inclusion and, and mm-hmm. everybody, you know, feeling warm and good about their feelings and, and, and okay with their own mediocrity. Like that's, that's a story as old as humanity. It's like, just do the bare minimum to get by. So their value prop- proposition is if everybody's the same, then nobody has to exert themselves and we can all live in ignorant bliss and everybody will be happy and just go hug a terrorist because that's all they need is love. Like there's plenty, the it's misguided, but that is what's being pushed. And that's why people are so ironically enough, so unhappy is because deep down, regardless of how they try to sedate it, deep down inside, they know they're capable of more. And you have these people out there advocating for, for, for complacency. And when people buy into this on the surface, they're unhappy, they're unsatisfied, they're contentious, they have animosity, bitterness about life, depression, suicide, because they, they haven't been able to mask what they really know that they're capable of more and they're not doing it. It's unfortunate, but it's it's kind of the the path of least resistance that too many people choose to take. Man, it's just so fucking bonkers. Ah, uh, dude. I mean, but uh, like, so uh, interesting on Facebook. Like, so um, I remember when Facebook started, we were big in the CrossFit deal, and I somehow ended up like just accept, accepting everybody that friend requested me, and I ended up locked out with like five thousand friends on my Facebook. And uh, I, I like recently was kind of like, eh, I don't really peripherally involve in Facebook. It just seems like a lot of fucking grandstanding and nonsense. But they do have market, uh, Facebook Marketplace, which is actually really good for piece of shit uh, car parts. And there's a lot of square body shit on there. So as you know, I'm a purveyor of 80s piece of shit Chevy trucks. And, um, you know, they follow me home all the time. So Facebook Marketplace is a good place or I would have fucking got rid of Facebook long ago. They follow you home because they're uh, on your trailer. I, uh, <laughs> you're towing them. Uh, I, I, they're like lost children, man. I got to like I, I got to go out and get them. Uh, so long story short, um, I realized through a bunch of. You know, things that were happening within like the, I guess you could say like the media front with, you know, politics and whatever, that the people that um, necessarily were getting the most airplay on when I clicked on Facebook was uh, a whole bunch of contrarian ideas and shit I didn't necessarily agree with and like a lot of just fucking ignorant statements. And one day I decided to engage some of them. And it was amazing to see the systematic attack that people lay into it. And I was like, man, this is fucking nonsense. And um, so I just had a huge perch and just fucking dumped like 4,500 people out of it for people. And I only went through and kept people that I actually have relationships with. No, and now it's Facebook's actually a lot more enjoyable. But I found that it was uh, a really interesting echo chamber for a lot of people that um, this... Like, uh, you know, I'm all right. You're all right. Everybody's all right. We just need to be all right together. And like, you know, not really looking at these hard questions and, you know, and then really creating this kind of like, 
um, very polarizing us versus them. Just a lot of, and like, I don't care what side of the spectrum you're on, dude. I just was like, you know, uh, the people that were as far left were as bad as the people that were far right. And it, the whole thing just looked ignorant because people weren't willing to have a conversation, which is really democracy. Like the day that we're not allowed to have a intelligent conversation with somebody with different ideas that doesn't degrade into some fucking mess of humanity like is the day that this whole thing's fucking dead and um i was like i just don't need this shit and uh you know we don't really do it i mean i would say like facebook necessarily is in our market and i don't necessarily market personally on my thing but uh just seeing how one um oblivious fucking people are and how quick people are to curb stomp anybody that might have a different view to me was just i was like what has fucking happened to people and it just it just blew my mind. And uh, since then, since I've purged it all, it's actually a lot more enjoyable. But what I find is that, um, like, within the algorithm, and Luke explained to me the algorithms, like, like, the people that are the most active are the ones that tend to get the most airplay. So, like, what I found is that the people that have the biggest bone to pick are the ones that pick the bone the most. Mm -hmm. So, like, they get kind of pushed and centered. And what I realized with a lot of, like, what you see in the media in this, it's usually the people that are the fucking most wronged the biggest, you know, the biggest platform, the people that are going to go out and fucking peddle this nonsense 24 hours a day are the ones that you tend to hear. And what's interesting is if you were to look at the media um, and kind of like the way a lot of things are being pushed towards us within these different agendas, it's not what I see next door. It's not what I see amongst my friends, and it's definitely not what I see within my neighborhood or when I talk to my neighbors or this. I mean, fuck, if you turn on the media, it's like, you know, the whole world's at each other's throats and this and this, mm -hmm. and I'm like... We don't see that in our neighborhood and we don't see it within yeah. my neighbors and we don't see it within our circle or the people that come to us. And I was thinking that the other day at uh, we, we've been going to the neighborhood pool the past few weeks. Yeah. And like there's days where there's fucking 100 people at this neighborhood pool. On a I'm weekday. Like, what do these people do for a living? Well, it's summer it's break. Summer. Oh. Yeah. But and mostly on the weekends. So and I was just thinking, like, I wonder how like because it's interesting. Everybody's kind of in a swimsuit, you know, like you don't have. You don't know status per se because they're not wearing like nice shirts or coats or uh, like suits or anything like that. So it's very casual. People are in swimsuits, chilling. Everybody's drinking out of like a Yeti or like, you know, ha sipping suds. And I'm thinking like it is hard to tell who the fuck is like far left, far right. Everybody's getting along. There's no fucking problem. There's only just like one weird European couple where the dude wears a Speedo and they fucking throw volley. They play catch with a volleyball in the pool over fucking people. Like the most bizarre pool behavior you've ever seen. And that's it. Like there's just that weird European couple, but everyone else is like the fucking same. It's pretty uh, interesting. A lot of people rocking one pieces. Uh, I was wearing one. Oh. <laughs> You're talking about the, like the, the, the Borat ladies? onesie. No, no, like the 1930, uh, like the one that Tex wears, you know, the onesie. Mm -hmm. And maybe I just don't know enough about swimwear to know what's fucking bougie. I just thought that it was a pretty interesting display of and diversity of people that all just seem the same. Yeah, just hanging out, having a good time. Yeah, I, heard a, uh, I heard an interesting theory. So the other day I had to put a, a mailbox in because I said we moved here about six weeks or so ago. I had to put a mailbox in across the street at my neighbor's place and I went over and knocked on the door and I said, Hey, you know, do you mind if I put the mailbox by yours? He's like, Oh yeah, that'd be fine. And so I built the mailbox and I brought it over and I had a shovel in my hand and, and I get over there and, and John comes out and he's like, Hey, what are you doing with that shovel? No one's going to hold the shovel when I got a tractor right here. And so he gets his tractor out and digs a hole and helps me put the mailbox in. And I mean, it's just a good, good gesture, right? So he's been friendly and everything. And somebody had proposed a theory. They said, because here in Maine, it gets so cold and the winters are so harsh. And they said, you know, it, it 
pays, it pays to build goodwill among your neighbors because they literally might save your life. And so people are working to build goodwill. Uh, but this goes back to what we were saying earlier. There's no hardship in life. And so you can be an asshole and get away with it. But oh, that's because nobody's going to knock on your door and fucking punch you in the face anymore. That, that's what I'm saying, yeah. because you can hide behind your keyboard and you can get away with it. But the, th- the thing is, is when you know people and, and social media is great and that it connects people, but it takes the humanity out of out of who we are. But if I have a disagreement with with somebody, let's say I have a disagreement over politics with a neighbor. But I saw that neighbor just battle with his uh, son or daughter over a life threatening uh, medical condition you can bet that that humanity is going to change my perspective of who that individual is and how we interact. But if I don't see that humanity, I'm going to think he's a dumbass and he's going to think I'm a dumbass and we're going to bicker and fight over, over ones and zeros on the internet. Uh, and I think that's a huge problem is that we've done away with a lot of our social institutions that bonded us, that forged us together, whether it was church or yeah. uh, sports in a lot of ways, Boy Scouts, things like this that really bonded us socially outside of what we believe politically. Well, I mean, that was the, the rise of the CrossFit gym. I mean, I always said, man, Same that uh, exactly. uh, the rise of the CrossFit gym paralleled almost like the decline of the Catholic church and like what local churches were like, you know, I mean, on Sundays we would go look like lift weights. People didn't go to church. Yeah. And I think that that uh, interesting piece of community, uh, what's cool is where we live here in Texas, at least here at uh, um, my place, uh, like um, our neighbors are, you know, my neighbor's like 90 and every Tuesday we go to dinner with him um, to this taco place called Rosie's, which I can't eat at it's anymore. It's not a taco it's, place. It's awful. It's tamale place. Yeah. So I, I go there and I just have a water, but I go <laughs> see the, my neighbor every Tuesday. Uh, but like, you know, and then like uh, my other neighbor, uh, they live on the property, but they have like a big riding school. So my daughter's ride. So like we have pretty good community with our neighbors, but like, I think, um, because where we are, like, uh, it's, I mean, kind of, it used to be three years ago, it was out in the sticks. We're not out in the sticks so much anymore, but like, Hey, like, uh, my road washed out. My neighbor loaned me his tractor and, uh, you know, help me get a bunch of road base to lay it all down. And like, so like things help. And I think people are more apt to like reach out in their community where I think like I can think of places I've lived where, um, I mean, I lived in Kansas city in a development where like, it, I like, the only way I met the neighbors was that the kids came, um, the, the or the little girl came over to sell me Girl Scout cookies. And I was like, um, uh, sure, like, how much do you need to win your contest? And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, how much, like, what was the high sale? And she's like, oh, somebody sold like, you know, $800. I was like, okay, put me down for a thousand. And so I gave her, and so like the, the girl went home and then her mom came over like 20 minutes later and she's like, I think there's a mistake. I'm like, no, I want a thousand dollars worth of cookies. And the mom was like, why? And I'm like, well, I want to help her win. And she's like, um, what are you going to do with thousand dollars cookies? I'm like, I don't know. I'll give them away. And like the lady like couldn't fathom. And then she's like, well, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I play for the chiefs. And she's like, oh, okay. And so I bought a thousand dollars worth of cookies and I gave my game guys on the team. People would come over. I'm like, Hey, I got cookies. Everybody left with cookies. And we just ended up giving them all away. Why? Cause, um, I remember doing that stuff as a kid and somebody would be like, Oh, five dollars is a lot. And then you got to go to like yeah. 75 houses. And I was like, <laughs> don't worry. I got you one house. I'm We're done. done. Yeah. Let's, and like, uh, and, and so forever she'll be like, we live next to this NFL player and he bought a thousand dollars worth of cookies. He didn't even eat them. He just gave me the money. Like, did you get all Samoas? No, fucking, done. I'm a thin what man's guy. The fuck? No Samoas. I am no a Samoas, fucking, Ryan? Wait, wait, which, are the, which are the chocolate with the peanut butter in them? Those are tagalongs. That's, uh, there you go. Listen, I, I'll do that. But I got thin mints, Samoas. I got Samoas and thin mints. What are you yelling to? 
I've freeze thin mints. Uh, team thin mint. Let me tell you, you could sit on the couch and you can just flick thin mints in your mouth like. No, don't get me wrong. I'll deep throat a sleeve of Thin Mints. Oh, I love like, it. I understand. <laughs> but I understand. But you, Samoas are superior. Do you have any idea how many boxes of cookies I got? It was uh, like... 1000 bucks These days, it's it, only good for 20 No. That's a complaint on Girl I think cookies. I had like 200 boxes. Like, like they delivered them, and it was fucking yeah. awful. Sure. <laughs> I mean, awful and awesome all in one. And, uh, dude, it, yeah. And as it should be. Because, like, here, here's the best part. Forever that girl's well, going to... there's still $4 a box. Let's do some math. Yeah, but here's the thing. Four <laughs> they've also decreased cookie count. What are, so we didn't name, like, three versions. So so I only got three versions. I got Thin Mints, I got the Samoas, and then I got the, the other ones. The Tagalongs? Yeah. 250 boxes of cookies. Yeah, I crushed it. It's a lot. I had to use the calculator for that. Very good. Yeah, you could figure conditioning four. <laughs> divide by two, good. divide by two, and that'll get you there. Yeah, it's awesome. Community of Property of Multiplication Division. Yeah. Um... Yeah, wow. It's a lot of cookies. That is a lot of it's cookies. It's fucking awesome. But like, that's the cool part about playing in the NFL. You can just buy a bunch of cookies. Mm-hmm. You know, there was another well, fucking... The cool part of be, about being a good neighbor. Yeah, it's buying... Yeah, just... Yeah, being a good neighbor. Yeah, Help I'm like... I, I just remember the mom was so fucking like... Why oh, is this a mistake? Like thinking like her daughter just like fucked it up. And I'm like, no, no, no. She's fine. I want $1,000 for the cookies. There was another door-to-door sales like Girl Scout cookies, but it was like... Uh, well, Boy Scouts, we have tins of popcorn. Oh, There's yeah. that one. And we did. We had to fundraise for football, so we had to run around the neighborhood. It was like coupons for local shit. We did like coupon cards or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. We did a deal where we had a fun run where you had to get people to sponsor us for every lap we ran. Yeah. And then people would like, I remember our neighbors like, I'll give you a quarter for every 10 laps. I'm like, I'm only going to run five. I'll get, you know, mm-hmm. 15 or 12 and a half cents. But there's one where you used to get like cheese, like cheese and cracker type shit. That my dad would go fucking ham on if my mom was not home. <laughs> You'd be like, whoa. He's like, all right, yeah, boom. And that, I can't remember what the hell it was. Just cheese and crackers? But it was like like, uh, like appetizer type shit, salami and shit like that. Yeah. Uh, space camp. Mm. Space cadet. <laughs> what else we got, Tex? This was awesome. Uh, I'm curious. So we got protector, provider, preside, or... <clears throat> Is there anything that got cut out in the, the past four, four or five years of this process? Um, no, you know, I've, I've always used that as kind of a foundation of what we do. I don't know if there's anything that, that got cut out. I used to focus a lot more on skill sets, you know, be, being able to do basic appliance or plumbing around your house. And that stuff's important, but it's not what I talk about anymore. Uh, more, more mindset, more physical fitness. Um, again, those skill sets are important, but not not so critical that I want to address them or take up time to talk about them. Is a, uh, is, is a beard part of the order of man that you can't, can you only be in the yeah. me in the, in the order of man if you have, have a beard? That is, that is funny. Cause a lot of people, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if they're joking or if they're, they're dumb, but, uh, they'll say, well, if I say something they don't agree with what they'll say is, well, you don't have to have a beard to be a man. I'm like, I, just because I have a beard doesn't mean that I think that's a qualifier to, to being a man, but people are weird, man. That that's social media for you right there. So the answer is no, you can be part of order of man with about, without a beard. You know, Luke had a, uh, a beard that was Looked uh, just like yours. Uh, not nearly as well kept. What are you talking about? Uh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, I'm pretty wild. sure was growing fleas and ticks and, uh, some other weird stuff in there. Like I think nice. he's hiding sandwiches in there. Like nice. your beard looks well manicured, like brushed out. Luke's, Luke's, uh, just looked homeless. 
No, man, it was basically the same. <laughs> <Dude>. Basically. <laughs> no, the true story is <laughs> like I look homeless. <laughs> I, I just was going back and looking at 2016 symposium footage. <laughs> and it's just like we're on the bulk. Texas, 20 pounds heavier. I've got this fucking homeless beard. I'm like, dude. I can't believe we stood up in front of those fucking people. I can't believe people came and actually listened to us <laughs> talk about physical fitness. That's oh, funny. what the fuck? <laughs> Dude, I, I, uh, we grow. We, we live and learn, right? Yeah. I'd do it again. Maybe uh, I will do it again. You I, should do it again. I actually had a pretty decent beard. Um, like I, I have know, never seen John with a beard. Yeah, I had a beard. And I had a pretty rocking mustache there for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saw the Fu Manchu. On yeah, my, no, I, I actually had... Well, I, I was... Uh, um, there was like a whole like... I had a beard and then all of a sudden like uh, beards became trendy. So I just went to handlebar mustache, which... I felt it was like less trendy. And then all of a sudden I saw dudes with mustaches and I just went on my clean face. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The crazy part is he's not a natural ginger. He dies at that color. <laughs> oh, that is crazy. Just so he can be the unicorn to have the ginger beard. So text. Right, just so I'm I can take out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, the, the guys we were working with last week, uh, two of them were gingers, and like uh, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> we were, they were, the the crew of people were killing these dudes. They're like, you're probably the last two gingers. And then they were trying to tell us <laughs> that like the gingers were by far the master race because they were the most dirty. It was pretty funny. What? Yeah, they call, they were calling them daywalkers. Yeah, <laughs> it was funny. Yeah, relentless. It was it was good. And and the the funny part is is um, if you get like one or two gingers in a room, like everybody seems to pick on them. It was it was pretty funny. Like, God, these fucking daywalkers over here. And what's probably pretty funny is that joke's been going for years. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, the, and then they instantly take the mantle, and then it's the battle. It's like, no, 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 we're master race. Like, that's why they're trying to get rid of us. It was fuck. <laughs> it, was, it was good. I, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's funny. Uh, fuck. fuck. Awesome. Ryan, dude, awesome conversation. I guess it, yes. people type in order of man into the Google, into the socials, and they'll find you. Is that where they're going to get you? Us. They'll find us, whether it's a podcast or the website or wherever, social media, they'll find us. Awesome. Order of men. Well, you heard it there, Power Athlete Nation. Another episode of the Premier Podcast and Strength and Conditioning. Hey. 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 Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find Ryan Mitchler on Instagram. Just look for at Order of Man or go to orderofman.com. And don't forget that we are in the midst of our fundraising campaign for Wade's Army. All we ask is that you check out a donation, any size, large or small, to support these kids. Go to wadesarmy.org to join the fight. Until next time, bye!